that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your big Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're doing like two-thirds rapid fire, one-sixth. Nathan picking what his bet outcome for his loss will be one sixth running through the chain restaurant bracket. So far we are down to the final four and I touched on it briefly on the last podcast. My heart is broken and I want to go through some of the voting of that. And then also we got a canceled big 10 game. So there's a lot going on and guys, I will tell you, I'm, I feel like we're still feeling our way a little bit. Five podcasts a week in season is a lot. And a lot of times on this podcast and with our coverage, we'll ignore a game because it's gonna, they're going to win by 40. So what, we're going to talk for five podcasts about whether Ohio State is going to win by 40 or 38 or, I don't know, more than 29. But this game matters, and so I don't want it to turn into five straight podcasts of us just saying, are they going to beat Penn State? How much are they going to win by? But I do think there's important stuff to do. So if you guys haven't listened to everything – we had the the Monday Madness podcast where we kind of were looking big picture a little bit in the Big Ten, some stuff about this game. And then the Wednesday podcast had some great crossover stuff with the guys who cover Penn State. And then the three of us went through some things. So this is going to be more about us digging in on some stuff. But let's start with rapid fire. And then we do have to talk about the Wisconsin-Nebraska cancellation at some point. But we'll start with this question number one in the rapid fire from the 727. And a couple other people also sent in similar questions to this. Last year, LSU, who has been called one of the greatest teams in many years, started the season slow. They had some tight games initially with questions primarily on defense. Then Joe Joe Burrow develops into a Heisman winner, and by the end of the season, their defense was very good. Do you see similarities in our team this year, particularly if you consider the COVID times we live in with the lack of spring ball or appropriate fall preparations? My answer is great question, and yes, I do see similarities. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I do think there are some similarities. I mean, and I was one of the people who maybe the most of anybody on this podcast had questions about the defense going back for weeks and months, saying that I, I thought this was going to be a, a, a decent step back. But I always said that in the context of, I think this is a thing that can grow. I think this defense can grow into something better and certainly something better than what it showed in that first week, just because you had so many new faces and even some of the familiar faces were, were moving around a little bit. So I've, I've always thought this was a defense that was going to grow into something more, assuming it has the health to do so. And that's still something that's a little bit up in the air. We don't know when Teron Vincent will be back and, and they're still figuring out some personnel things. So I, I, th- I think there are some similarities to be made there. Um, I, I will see, the, the one obviously big difference there is, does this team have a Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I, I would say it probably does not. So that, that is one big difference between what this team is and what that LSU team was. And I think one of the things people are referring to specifically is week two last year against Texas, LSU won 45-38. And that's a good, that's a very similar sort of this Penn State game in a lot of ways. It's like what you're expecting. That's what, that was a talented opponent. And they didn't exactly stop him, but they outscored him. Steven, where are you with this type of comparison? I like it, especially with the defense, because just looking through LSU's schedule, I'm taking out the Northwestern State, the Georgia Southern game, because who cares? This defense was good, but gave up points at times. And I think that's the world that this Ohio State defense might live in, where the offense is, is putting up 
45 to 50 to 60 points every week, but the defense has given up 17 to 21 to 28 points as well. So it's outscoring you, but it gets key stops. And I think that's what, especially early on in the season for LSU, that Texas game, that Florida game, they just got key stops at times when they needed it, but they weren't shutting teams out and holding them to 10 minus 10 points every single game. And that's a world Ohio state can live in to win a national championship. LSU scored at least 42 points, 12 of the 15 games last year. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the threshold too. And, and, and that's, we're, we're not, this is not our picks pod. That will be the pod that comes out on Friday, which we are going to do, by the way, in a live Zoom for our tech subscribers, 7 p.m. on Thursday night. We'll do a live Zoom where the three of us will make our picks. We'll talk about some important things specifically about this game. We'll really dig in on the game. We're going to dig in partly on the game on this pod, but that's really going to happen. So if you want to be a tech subscriber to jump in and join us there at 7 p.m. Thursday night, 614-350-3315. So you just got to outscore them. You know, I, I just think I think that might be what a lot of this this Saturday is about is just outscoring them, because I think that's the biggest issue for Penn State is like, what do you do with Justin Fields? And if Justin Fields is Justin Fields, then I, I think a lot of the analysis is not going to matter as much. And I think they will have time for the defense to catch up later in the year. Question number two, rapid fire from the 585, the never ending tight end question. Assuming there's no Chris Olave, and that is not an assumption that we're making at this point, but it's interesting to think about, you know, if, if for some reason Chris Olave can't play, he did leave the game on Saturday and didn't play in the fourth quarter. So let's just think about that. How would they make up for Chris Olave? If there's no Chris Olave, is this the tight end in the slot moment at last? They lined up Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert together last week for some pick plays, pick your poison type moments. Penn State is short on linebacker athletes, and you'd think Wilson draws the real attention, maybe more than a three-target game at last for Ruckert. So I think you could see, because I broke down, I asked Garrett specifically about that fourth down play. I wrote about it twice already. The fourth down play where Wilson and Ruckert lined up right next to each other, and they were putting some stress on the defense. You could see that. Garrett set the guy up. The defender turned to the outside. Garrett broke inside, and it was over fairly easy fourth down conversion, even though the ball was tipped up the line. Also on Garrett Wilson's touchdown, the deep post when he was lined up outside Rucker, I think it was Rucker in the middle of the field, sucks some safeties down. So the safety did not get deep enough to help on that. And then you wind up in a situation where you have Garrett Wilson one-on-one with a corner. And again, Garrett Wilson said, once he saw the corner take one step, he knew it was over and he knew Justin Fields was going to put the ball right on the money. I thought last week you saw some situations where Nebraska paying a little bit of attention to the tight ends helped open some stuff for the receivers. Not that that's the necessarily the way you should be thinking. I would kind of deal with Garrett Wilson first, but I think that's coming next. And I think, I think whether or not Chris Olave plays, I actually think like if Chris Olave doesn't play, and I think we talked about this in a previous pod, I think there's a little bit more of a world of Garrett Wilson goes outside, Jackson Smith and the Jigba comes in. I don't know that they would change their personnel packages just because Chris Olave couldn't play. But I will tell you, I watched and I wrote about Garrett Wilson. I, I counted up. He had 36 snaps in the slot and he had 12 snaps outside Garrett Wilson on Saturday. And he, when he's outside, it's when they only have two receivers on the field. And they have an X and a Z on opposite sides. And they're in 12 personnel with two tight ends. 
And so that's when they're going to put some stress on a defense anyway, because that's a run set. They're expecting them to run sometimes. They're really concerned with the receivers and that's going to, they, but they did throw out of that a decent amount. The Wilson touchdown was out of 12 personnel. And as they throw to the receivers out of those sets with 12 personnel, the adjustment that a defense is going to make is going to open up throws to the tight ends. So I think the idea that they threw out of 12 is encouraging for the tight ends because they didn't throw to the tight ends, but I think they throw to the tight ends next. So I think, I do think it, I can't believe I'm going to say it out loud. (laughs) Should I even say it? Ruckert Ruckert family listeners. I, I think that might be next that the tight ends were a little bit of a, the, the, the tight ends pulled some stuff their way to open the receivers. I think the next step is the receivers pull some stuff their way to open up the tight ends. But I don't know that it's particularly related to a potential absence of Chris Olave this weekend. I think if Chris Olave can't play this weekend, you get some more Jackson Smith, the Jigma, you get some more Julian Fleming. I don't know that that tight end thing is going to exactly work out. Nathan quickly out. I don't know if there's more to say on that, but like, do you see some push and pull, some give and take with the tight ends there? Yeah, because I actually already had this in my notes um, from when I went back through the game. And like, you can, people can go back and look at the very first play that Ohio State had from scrimmage in that game. Um, when you're in 12, they're in 12 personnel. Uh, Rucker kind of drags across on an underneath route. Wilson is, or Olave is running that route on top of that. And I think it was maybe off of play action too. And because Olave is completely uncovered, that's where the pass goes. But it's, you're right. At some point, teams are going to have to adjust to that. They're going to have to take away something up top on that. And there, that, that wasn't the only one. I can go through and show you several others where that same kind of dynamic is playing out. The tight end is kind of on that side of the – when they roll out to that side of the field, the tight end is ro- running a shorter route with Wilson or Olave running over the top of that. The, so that underneath route is going to be there. When people take that 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 uh, – above route away I think that that shorter route is going to be there and I think that's where you're going to start to see the run the tight ends attract more targets in that situation the other part where you might see tight ends you could see some RPOs in this offense on Saturday that Justin gave it on almost every time they had a chance for an RPO there was one where Alave came in motion and it was a rollout that if Justin keeps it he then is moving to the right and he's got Olave in the flat but he gave it there was another one where he had the same thing with Ruckert, where if if Justin keeps it, when he comes out to the side, it doesn't have to be a Justin run. He's got Ruckert in the flat. So I think they're going to work some of these guys. He just happened to give on some of those, and when he kept it, he ran. There are some keeps for Justin ahead that are going to be throws, and I think that's going to work in some tight ends a little bit more too. Number three from the 216. How surprised are you that Tough Borland played the majority of the middle linebacker reps instead of the coaches keeping up the 50-50 split with another linebacker? Dallas Gant looked good in his limited reps. Steven, we'll start with you on this one. The playing the playing time for Tough Borland on Saturday, surprised, not surprised, and how do you think it may or may not change? I'm not surprised at all. I'm, I'm expecting that's what it's going to be for the majority of the season. First and second downs, he's a Mike linebacker, and then he comes off the field in third down passing situations. I mean, maybe Dallas Gant can steal some snaps from him here and there if, if they need that be, but I think for the most part, this is what it's going to be. I'm not surprised by that. It's been the case the last two seasons. That's not going to change this year. 
No, but it hasn't been. Browning got real snaps. They they rotated more. Browning got real snaps at middle linebacker. Did, but also he he was the guy who stayed on the field on third down opportunities. This year, Browning he doesn't Browning doesn't have to worry about rotating with Tough Boylan to begin with. They can just he's already on the field and they can just take Tough Boylan off as can be. That's I think what the difference is now is the guy who was rotating with last year was going to stay on the field on third down. That's not necessarily the case this year. No, so but what I'm saying we know Browning's not the rotation, but in past years Tough Boylan was not on this on the field every first and second down snap. There were series where Baron Browning was the middle linebacker. And that they were rotating. Yes, Barron had more of a role in nickel, but it was tough was not the only guy on first and second down at middle linebacker. There was a rotation there. I'm not surprised it happened in week one with a bunch of new guys. I would not be surprised if they ease into it later as Marcus Hooker and Pete Warner and Baron Browning in new positions and seven banks and cam Brown and Marcus Williamson and everybody and, and new defensive tackles and some young guys at defensive end, as they all get a little more familiar, I think maybe they need tough less. So I'm not surprised it happened early. I don't know that it's definitely going to stay that way. I actually think there's room for Dallas Gant to get more run. And it does seem like Gant's more like the Mike and Taraji Mitchell is more a will now there's room for Gant. I think to get some run on first and second down, in normal game situations in the second quarter, not in garbage time. And I think, I think we could be heading toward that as the defense matures and gets older and smarter and maybe needs tough Borland to be less of its nerve center. Um, I think I agree with that because I think you can say the same thing at defensive end where Jonathan Cooper, you know, clearly played the most snaps. That might not be the same, you know, four or five weeks from now, that might be the case where you go with your veteran guys early as these guys are learning and, you know, developing in these new roles. Question number four from the 636. Hey guys, in my eyes, I am worried about the way Michigan looks this year. I know it's only been one game, but they look good. The national media and Ohio state media seems to always assume Michigan is a gimme game. How do you guys feel about them this year? And are you as worried as I am based on game one? Thanks. And again, that texter didn't say Michigan. They said TTUN, but we say Michigan on this podcast. So Nathan, I know you have a weekly Wolverine watch within Monday Madness, right? So you are paying attention a little bit to what's going on with there. The next question, and I actually did a survey with tech subscribers that I want to get to some of their survey answers. It's, it's fun. It's interesting to think about future games on this Ohio State schedule. What is your degree of how impressed you were with Michigan off week one? I was fairly impressed, but I thought going into the season, they were going to be a fairly decent team. I mean, I've been ranking them in my poll as a top 15, now like top 10 caliber team. I think this is a, it's a talented team. Sometimes we forget just because Ohio state has this, um, this, this weird uh, dominance of them that, that somehow applies to pulling their whole program down a notch as to how they relate to everybody else. Now I will say, that that's one thing they really haven't done recently is go on the road and beat other good teams, beat ranked teams. Like that's not something they've done with much frequency at all under Jim Harbaugh. I can't remember what the exact number was. I know I think they were 0 and three there last year, trying to go on the road and beat ranked teams or be even on neutral fields. And so to go into Minnesota and I think Minnesota's defense was compromised. I think there were some other issues going on there. Um, still even just relating to the, the people they've lost since last year, but there was still, there was something impressive there. You know, Joe Milton was impressive. I think this team has some other skill players that are impressive. So yeah, I, I think that the, one of the reasons Ohio state needs to um, fix some things defensively and keep progressing, developing, maturing defensively is so they're ready for that game in week eight. 
it's the you hope that Graham Mertz is back for Michigan, Wisconsin, and it, there seems to be some confusion about whether he might be. That'll be a big test for Michigan. You know, Michigan has Penn State. They they have these games coming up, obviously, um, before they get to Ohio State. They're going to have to show something. But I do think sometimes it's everybody's instinct. Steven and I thought Minnesota was going to win that game. Mm-hmm. You pick Michigan in that game. Michigan handles them. And I think sometimes the inclination is to be like, oh, Minnesota stinks. And it's like, well, I mean, what do you think? I mean, half the people in our preseason poll picked Minnesota to win the West. They got Tanner Morgan. They got Rashad Bateman. Yes, they had some issues, as you mentioned. I don't think Minnesota stinks. I think that's a pretty darn good win for Michigan. And so – I mean, for instance, is that a is that a worse win for Michigan than it was when Penn, when Minnesota beat Penn State at home last year? I mean, that's and and and, yeah. and Michigan clubbed them. Yeah, they controlled. So I, I I think if you do have any instinct as an Ohio State fan to have most of your assumption from that game be eh, Minnesota, I I would not let that happen. Minnesota, I think, is still probably a legit top twenty five team. Maybe not a West contender. Maybe not going to you know run the table or anything. But I think they're going to win some games and beat some people. So um, interesting. We did talk about a little before. I think they have to play confident. They have to play a little bit loose. It felt like when you read the quotes from the Michigan players, they were there. They wanted to like kind of rally around Joe Milton. You know, Dylan McCaffrey transfers right before the season. All of a sudden, here's this guy who's never played. It felt like the team rose to the occasion for its quarterback, which I think is always a big thing. So I would be on alert about Michigan this year, which relates to question number five from the 614. In the preseason, we talked about this eight-game schedule and how Penn State was far and away the most difficult game on that schedule and the only real roadblock on Ohio State's path to the playoff. Do you still believe that's the case? So on the podcast on Monday, Nathan and I talked about this. I did a Twitter poll. Now I did a texter poll. Who was the second best team in the Big Ten? Who do you guys think our texture poll? I said Wisconsin when Graham Mertz is healthy. So like full, full bore Wisconsin, Michigan or Penn State. Who's the second best team in the Big Ten? Steven, what do you guess our texters said? Wisconsin with Graham Mertz. What do you think, Nathan? Yes, agreed. Wisconsin with Mertz, 47%. Michigan, 43%. Pretty close. Hmm. Penn State, Nine percent. So I think that's interesting. I think that shows respect for Michigan because I think it easily I I would have maybe expected to be more more like 60, 65, 70 percent for Wisconsin because it was like everybody was on the Graham Mertz bandwagon after Friday night, the way he played. I also think it's possible that do you agree with this idea, Stephen? And I didn't ask this and maybe I should have. Who is the second best team in the Big Ten and who is the greatest roadblock for Ohio State are different? They might be the same answer, but they don't have to be the same answer. So, Stephen, I'll ask you both those questions. Who do you think is the second best team in the Big Ten right now when Graham Mertz is on the field? And is that team, because they'll get Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, most likely, things progress as expected. Mm-hmm. Is it the same answer or could, or is it a different answer in your mind? No, I think it's two different answers. And it actually might just be three different answers. It's hard with Penn State because they're missing – so many important guys to, you know, still have that argument, but for the sake of saying it, and they're week two on the road, you have to at least mention them. But I think Michigan's the best team. 
um, just when you look at the talent they have and what Joe Milton showed in week one. But I think Graham Mertz, what he showed, if he is able to get back on the field in 21 days, especially if he, he's able to play in that week, um, and he continues to develop, and he shows this the entire season, and they're out clicking on all cylinders by the time both of these teams get to Indiana, that's a bigger roadblock to you to Ohio State, I think, than Michigan coming into Ohio Stadium. So you think Michigan, second-best team, but Wisconsin fully formed by the time they get there, even if they're not quite as good as Michigan, just kind of the way they might play with Mertz yeah. in Indianapolis, a bigger roadblock for Ohio State. All right, Nathan, same question for you. And is your answer split or is your second best team roadblock the same thing? If we're talking roadblock to the playoff, then I don't think it's Michigan because I think Ohio state could still dominate for seven weeks, lose even at home to Michigan and maybe find a way in. So I think I agree with Steven, but the tricky thing is what we're looking at now with Wisconsin can they get in the playoff or can they get, can they even so win the hold West? Let's hold on. Let's hold on. Let's hold, let's hold that part of the conversation until after yeah. this. That's so theoretical. We have to discuss that. Let's just talk about Wisconsin as a football team with Graham Mertz being good on the field. So, I mean, if, if, if what we saw from Wisconsin with Graham Mertz on the field is something better than the average Wisconsin, better than the usual team that Ohio state plays in Indianapolis when it plays against Wisconsin. So I, I think that that team, that dynamic, that kind of that, that being able to, to balance an offense, but not just balance an offense. Cause that's, that's such a cliche. Everybody has kind of a balanced offense. Even, even Nebraska threw the ball as many times as Ohio state did the other day. Um, it, it's more about being potent in both sides of the offense and, and just what you know, a team that has the foundations that they do defensively, the offensive line. I just think that that, that ultimately does cause on a neutral field, a bigger potential roadblock to a playoff than Michigan does. Okay. I think Wisconsin with Mertz might be the best team. I actually think Penn state might be the bigger roadblock. Part of it is because they're playing Penn state now in week two. And I think Ohio state by week eight and nine will be a significantly better team, just like everybody is, but with a young defense, a running game that's still working itself out. I think Ohio state will be rolling by the time they get to Michigan and Wisconsin. And I don't know that Ohio state is rolling right now. Also, Michigan's at home, Wisconsin's inside. Good luck, Wisconsin, beating Ohio State inside on turf. Penn State's on the road, no whiteout, and we have questions about that later. Cold, it's supposed to be cold, apparently, on Saturday. So what's going to like, and like we don't know exactly about Chris Olave, what could maybe slow down this Ohio State passing game? Well, Maybe like some weather stuff or just like it's not great. And like, I just think that could be it. So I think my answer is, I think because they don't have Journey Brown and they don't have Micah Parsons, I do think now the way things have played out, Penn State might be third on this list, that they might not be as good as Michigan or Wisconsin. But I think Penn State, I'm really coming around on this. And it's, I don't want to like change my mind, but I'm really coming around as we get to late in the week that this is going to be a game. I think where it is on the schedule, I think the fact that it is on the road, I think the fact that Ohio State, I think on Saturday against Nebraska, it wasn't deadly things that they showed, but I think they have some stuff to work out. I'm not sure they're going to completely work it out by Saturday. And Penn State's not afraid of Ohio State. Michigan is, Wisconsin is, 
because Michigan and Wisconsin don't know how to beat this Ohio State team. They have no idea. They know how to compete for a while. They can't win. Penn State at least got over the top once, and they really pushed them harder than anybody. So I think Penn State has the best mindset going against Ohio State. I think that continues to factor in. I think Penn State will be the best version of Penn State, even though they're missing some good players. I think they'll be the best version of themselves on Saturday. And I just think they are the biggest roadblock. Now, the question is, I think I would say they're the, they're the best chance to beat Ohio State would be Penn State. Whether they're actually a roadblock, because last time Ohio State lost at Penn State, Ohio State still made the playoff and Penn State didn't. But if they lose to Penn State, then all of a sudden, now Ohio State needs Penn State to lose another conference game or Penn State's going to have the tiebreaker and they're going to go to the Big Ten championship game. And then Ohio State's going to be trying to get into the playoff without playing in the championship game, just like they did in 2016. I don't think that's impossible for that to happen. Just like I don't think it's impossible for them to go to the Big Ten championship, lose to Wisconsin. I think they could still get in. Nathan, you already said you think they could lose to Michigan, have otherwise looked good, still. I think they could lose to any of these three teams and still get in because all of a sudden, if they're not the Big Ten champ, they are most likely the most attractive number four, no doubt about it. But maybe it's a roadblock you can go around. Sometimes you go around the roadblock. Not that I've ever done that. But, you know, the roadblock's up, so you drive on the median and you go up on the curb. And it's like, well, it didn't stop you, but it was a roadblock. So I still think it might be Penn State for a lot of circumstantial stuff that doesn't exactly relate to are they the best team. Let's pause the rapid fire to talk about the cancellation. Wisconsin and Nebraska will not be played on Saturday. I think people probably know something about it, but Nathan, can you give us the 30-second news snippet about what's up, and then we can get into like, did the Big Ten screw this up to allow this to happen? Yeah, so obviously people already had eyes on this a little bit because reporting started coming out Sunday that Graham Mertz, the quarterback we were just talking about, had tested positive that um, I'm forgetting his name. Chase Wolf, I think, is maybe the name of the backup, something along those lines. Chance Wolf, something. <laughs> he has he has a very like soap opery name. Um, the backup, the third string quarterback, actually, because Jack Cohn's a starter, was a starter. Mertz was the backup. And then this guy, third string, had had also tested positive. So all, eyes were already kind of on Wisconsin to see just how bad this situation was going to be. And then by noon today, I guess it was it was right around the time we started Zoom interviews because I missed Justin Fields Day. So it must have been around 1115 or so that news came out that Wisconsin was canceling its game with Nebraska or in conjunction with the Big Ten and canceled the game because it had too many positive tests. Now, Wisconsin didn't say it was because they had reached these thresholds that triggered the Big Ten's automatic response. They had 12 uh, positives, six among staff and coaches, six among players. Um, I think that pr number probably did put them over or pretty close to it. And, and they're waiting for more results. So it could be an even bigger outbreak than that. And obviously the fact that they're announcing this today um, means that you have to pause for at least seven days. So I would say that that probably means that next week's game against Purdue for Wisconsin is also in doubt. It's in doubt, but the way they talked about it today, it's not definitely off. Correct. So it's, it's definitely in doubt. And I did look it up. Um, Chance Wolf makes ventriloquist dummies. So it's not Chance Wolf. It is Chase, Chase Wolf. And Chase but, Wolf. But if He's you need to stay next, Ohio, um, Cincinnati kid. Oh, just like Sean Clifford. Yeah. If you do need, though, if you need a ventriloquist dummy, 
Chance Wolf can make you one. So here I he think should make the Badgers some ventriloquist dummies and they can use them as quarterbacks. Yeah. Chase Wolf is a heck of a quarterback name. I'm just gonna be honest. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. <sighs> but it's I'm more of like yeah. a I would that, that guy should be for like Fresno State or something. He shouldn't be yeah, yeah, he definitely, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But I'd I'd follow him if that was my quarterback's name. So Nathan, did the Big Ten screw up? That this has happened. Is this a screw up? Yeah. Um it is a little bit. And I, I, they, I don't disagree with the reasons why the Big Ten we, – we've talked about this a billion times. The Big Ten was prudent to stop when it did, but it was imprudent the way it did it. If it had given themselves a little bit – if they had just taken an indefinite pause instead of what, I, what they did, which ended up costing them seven weeks instead of maybe just three or four weeks, I think this wouldn't have been as big of a problem. Or if they had even – even if they had made a bigger sacrifice and said, well, we'd love to play eight games in eight weeks, but – what are the chances that's going to happen? Because look, every single conference in the country that's trying to play right now is postponing games. So we're going to play division games only, six games in eight weeks, give ourselves two bye weeks, two idle weeks that we could move postponements to if we had to. I don't know why they didn't even just do that. I know it's such why a Why shortened... is that better? You, you would have given yourself room to postpone this game. No, but it doesn't. So you're saying Six that... games in eight weeks. But but you're it's like if you play six in eight weeks instead of eight in eight weeks, it's like you already postponed two. Mm-hmm. What, so you're just trying to save specifically Wisconsin, Nebraska. Is well, that- I guess I see what you're saying there, but I'm say, I guess or just give yourself some kind of movement. Maybe you only play seven in eight weeks. Give yourself. Why is that one. better? Because because this is maybe the only time this is going to come up. No, but I'm saying, but okay. Once you get to this window, once you get to an eight week window. Why not play eight? And then if you have to cancel one, it's like, oh, well, we had to cancel one. But then we still played seven or six. If you only play, if you only plan to play six or seven and you have no problems, then you're like, man, we could have played eight. I don't have a quibble with that. Once they got to this eight week window, you may as well try to play eight unless you think. And now this is a hard thing. Wisconsin, Nebraska is kind of a big game, right? Those are two rivals, right? Not like longtime historic rivals, but. Part of me the is like thing I that Nebraska has right now in the Big Ten. I mean, they don't have a lot of like long time rivals. So, I, I mean, I'm, but I'm saying, but but beyond that, I mean, I think that's maybe Wisconsin might be the next or Minnesota, but like well, anything that's in that kind of Western Plains, that's them. So I was going through now, and it's like the thing that's hard. It's like, well, can we screw the Big Ten teams that nobody cares about? It's like I'm ready to cancel like Nebraska, Purdue, and Wisconsin, Indiana, because I think they're supposed to play like the first week in December. And it's like, well, those two games are off and now we're going to play Wisconsin, Nebraska that week, but that doesn't exactly solve anything either. Right. So uh, do you think all the, all the flexibility would do once you reach this point, all the flexibility would do would allow you the chance to save the games that matter the most. So I, I, I don't know. I just try to get in as many as you can, but really the fatal flaw, if you think there was a flaw, was that they didn't start until October 24th, right? If they would have started October 10th, then you could have said, well, let's try to play eight and 10, or let's play to try to play nine and 10, right? And you would have given a little flexibility. But you also brought up the point, I think, on Twitter to other people that other conferences did build in flexibility early on, that they've used up some of that flexibility. Right. And now they may end up, their next step is cancellation because there's all, flexibility still only takes you so far. There's a lot of people out there on my Twitter and on our text that are really hammering the Big Ten as if the Big Ten 
was singularly stupid about this, but really all these other conferences are rapidly getting to the point that the big 10 is where they don't have any flexibility either. And by the way, a lot of them are still canceling or, or postponing games right now. So they're not out of the woods. And some of them are in States with just the same kind of spikes that you're seeing in Wisconsin right now that potentially lead to this problem down the line. I think the sec probably wound up doing it right. They started a couple weeks ahead of the big 10 they played a 10 game conference only schedule. Some of the stuff that like the big 12 was doing early. I mean, the big 12 was canceled was postponing games all over the place. They're postponing conference the big games. 12 and the ACC were trying to play non-conference games when you should just be. Yeah. SEC got it right. Play your conference games and give yourself some flexibility. And now that's why Florida still has 10 games on its schedule. So I mean, like when, the, the, when, when the 10 and 12 weeks came out, I think everyone, and, and then don't forget the gap that was there before the big 10 championship game too. So really it was like, 11 games in 14 weeks or whatever. So you had like just a lot of flexibility built into it. I think everyone looked at that and said, Hey, that seems like really prudent and smart. And then they canceled it like immediately. And then to go from there to what we ended up with just seemed like such a drastic change. And I don't know. I know that, but the other thing that comes into play here is the reason they thought that that was doable was because of the daily testing. And there obviously is a hole in that. So I think we're going to do some, I mean, we're going to continue to report on this kind of thing. We'll, we'll end this discussion here because blame is only so important. I mean, blame is a very important part of life. I mean, if you couldn't blame people for stuff, what's the point? Hey, there was a mistake. Whose fault is it? I love blame, but we have to move on from it at some point. How worried should any fan be about a, the rest of the big 10 schedule, considering it's week two of the big 10 schedule. And this already happened and be the Ohio state schedule. And that if it could happen to Wisconsin, it could happen to Ohio state. If you weren't already worried, I don't know what you haven't been. I don't know what you've been paying attention to. Like it, it was already an issue that was sitting out there waiting to happen. I think I was, I was a little bit surprised that it happened this fast that like Wisconsin tested before the game on Friday, played a game. And by Saturday, they're, new star quarterback was testing positive for COVID-19. There's definitely some questions that have to be answered about that, including some questions that I have into the big 10 today to hopefully kind of shed some light on exactly the timeline of these things and what that means going forward. But absolutely. You should be worried. You should be worried that no matter what Ohio state does, that it may end up having a game canceled because of something that goes wrong at another place. You should be worried that the big 10 chancellors and presidents at some point don't decide can't do it. We're done. Uh, but well, I mean, the, the thing that's different, though, is that you said, well, you should have been worried before. The, the idea was that the Big Ten testing was so rigorous. It was daily testing, right, that the testing was the firewall. So whatever was happening in Florida, whatever was happening in the Big 12, whatever was happening everywhere else, it felt like the Big Ten was saying that's not going to happen here or there's a significantly lower chance of it happening here. And it happened. So I don't, I don't think this is like a, what did you expect? I think the big 10 thought, Hey, we have a handle on this. And it took a week. And the other thing is test positivity rates are going up in the Midwest or going up in the big 10 footprint in general. And in the community, in the Madison community, numbers were up, right? Guess where yeah. numbers are also up in Ohio. So I, you can't disassociate completely. I don't know. You can dissociate it all. What's happening in a community then what happens to a football team within that community? I don't know that that's right. That's not coincidental. I mean, it's not a direct exact relationship that if there's more positive tests in your state or in your County that your football team's going to get it, but I think it increases the chances of it. 
Well, that's what I asked today. I mean, we had Sean Wade today and I asked him, you know, we, Ryan Day says he keeps harping on you guys. But at some point when your boss or your parent or whoever is telling you something every day, you maybe start to tune it out. So what are you guys doing? Who's holding who are you guys still holding each other accountable? And he gave me an answer about the things that they're doing, the older players to try to hold the younger guys accountable. And I still think that's what this season comes down to. Um, with the, the testing rate rising out among the community, I know that there are ways that you can get infected, even if you try, uh, even if you're diligent, it could still happen. But I think that's still what it comes down to is guys just, you know, living a very boring life, unfortunately, during this football season and, and trying to show up clean every day to the facility. And to but, that yeah, point, I'm kind of interested in how often Justin Fields actually leaves this house. Cause we've had what, like five or six zoom calls with him and he's done some other stuff. And every single time to the point of like, sometimes Ryan day pulls him out from the rest of the group. Every time we've talked to him, he's been the only guy who's been in his house. Everybody else has had that Ohio state banner in the background where they're clearly in the Woody, but Justin is always the only one who's always in his home when he's doing stuff. So I'm interested just how much more of a point they've they're making with Justin of you literally are not allowed to leave your house unless it's coming here for practice or going to a game. That'd be a good thing to ask Justin. Next time we talk to him, mm. I mean, but also it might be one of those things you might go to Chipotle with the mask on and stand in line for four minutes, yeah. and that's what gets you. You know, is I mean, Justin it, Fields allowed to go to Chipotle, or does he have to door dash everything? I mean, it's one of those things. I think a lot of the discussion around college athletes and college students and college campuses is like poor behavior. Hey, you can't be going to a party. I don't. I mean, we haven't heard any reporting out of Wisconsin that these guys did that or anything, right? I mean, they just one guy gets it from some random interaction where they're being pretty safe and all of a sudden it spreads and it's, you can do pretty much everything right and still catch it, which I think we all kind of knew. I do want to do this before we take a break. This is another one from the eight one six with Wisconsin being down to their fourth string quarterback for the next three weeks. Would it make sense for the Buckeyes to take a quarterback, presumably Gunnar Hoke and keep him secluded from the rest of the team for the entirety of the season? kind of like a break glass in case of emergency situation. Nathan, how, how extreme should they potentially get with something like this? Well, the problem is you really can't go into a game even with just one quarterback, right? I mean, <laughs> if, 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 if there is an outbreak and Ohio State goes into the game, I mean, and they have Gunnar Hoke and then who? I mean, then walk-ons, I guess, behind him? Like, I don't know if, if that's realistic either. I think at that point – um, things are compromised to the point where I don't know if you're playing that game anyway. So but I, I agree with what Steven's saying. I mean, I, that, he brings up a good point about Justin Fields, about how he really does seem to be on like uh, super vigilant. Bubble. Yeah. Yes. The Fields bubble does bubble, seem to be in yeah. effect. I, I honestly, to that, I don't, I don't, how often do they actually need to meet? in person for a classroom and stuff. Obviously when you're on the field and you're doing that's instruction, that's a different, but when it's just in the classroom, it would seem like maybe they do a lot more stuff on zoom just because they're used to doing it because they've been doing it all off season while then they get to get, I don't know. Maybe that's just thinking too far. Can we write this down? Why are we not asking Justin Fields all these questions? We're asking, I wonder if Justin Fields leaves his house, ask him if he's left his house. We've talked, we talked to him every week, write this down. We don't know. Let's not try to interpret his movements based upon the background of, of whether he's sitting on his couch on a Zoom or not. This is fascinating. Are you literally driving to the Woody, practicing, driving home? When's the last time you saw a human that wasn't part of the Ohio State football team? 
I want to know the answer to that, and we'll get it the next time we talk to Justin Fields. I think we're he has to talk- leave the house to walk his dog, probably. What if he has a dog walking? Well, yeah, when we have, no, when somebody from the Ohio State football program comes over and walks Udo, and <laughs> now, that would probably out. actually be a uh, an improper benefit if somebody from the yeah. from the from the from the program did it. He would have to pay for it himself. No, you're right. I think up, you know? to, to better answer the question, though, I think that it would make sense at every position group that they they have some sort of these contingent. There's it's it's unrealistic to do it to segregate somebody from every group. But especially with the quarterbacks, it would have to be more than one person. But I could see having something in place where you kind of take that into account. Sure. All right. We're going to take a break on Buckeye Talk, and we're going to come back and talk about the running game. we got a lot of questions on our rapid fire about the Ohio State running game. We want to get into Nathan's bet punishment, my heartbreak over the chain restaurant bracket, and uh, just a lot, just a lot happening. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. Back with question number six, which is leading us into this running game, running back discussion, which again, we've kind of already had, but I think it's a, it's a big point for a lot of people out there, including AB from the 330. My question is, where can I find the yards after contact stat online? I'll tell you what, I've had trouble with that over the years. I don't know that there is a yards after contact stat for college football. There's just a lot better stats for, for the NFL. Sometimes I, I have not been able to find that. So if anybody, uh, If anybody knows where that is, we're here for it. His continued question, though, is my problem with the running backs beyond the fact they couldn't find the hole with the map is that Trey Sermon was like, this is kind of a, this is a a harsh email, but a, a harsh text, but this is what people are thinking. Is that Trey Sermon was like a house of cards. As soon as he was touched, he fell down. I thought Master Teague didn't break any tackles either. Justin Fields, on the other hand, shed so many tackles. It was eye popping. Steel Chambers broke some tackles. That's why he had almost as many yards on a fourth of the carries. I was screaming at the TV on Saturday to just break a tackle. Thank you from the three, three Oh, is that too far, Steven? Or is that kind of, you think what a lot of Ohio state fans were thinking about the running backs carrying the ball. It's a mean way to put it, but it's not too far to say it. I think Trey Sermon dances a little too much when he doesn't necessarily need to. I think it was what that third and one opportunity or fourth and one where all he had to do was run straight, put his head down and go get the yard. And he's like dancing along with the linebacker and doing the most. I don't even think they got it on that play, but I I don't know if it's you touch him and he falls down, but it's definitely, he does a lot of dancing and does not a lot of unnecessary puts a lot of unnecessary energy into going East and West that he forgets to go North and South sometimes. I would imagine Tony Alford is talking about this kind of stuff this week. And again, we kind of felt this right afterward. Pete in San Diego from the 619 says, after rewatching some of the run plays, it was pretty clear that Teague and Sermon were missing the hole on several carries. Nebraska was definitely stacking the box versus the run, but Steel Chambers only got a few carries and showed better vision and burst on the other two backs. I'm wondering how many games of missing holes will it take for Day to make a change? Could this be our first look at how Day handles seniority amongst the players when there is quite possibly a better but younger option on the roster? I'm not... Um, thinking that Teague and Sermon can't perform better. I just wonder during a shortened season, how long do you think it would take before we see a change in how the carries are divided up? Again, we on Tuesday, we definitely, we talked about this, but he got the impression from Ryan Day that he, he certainly didn't say, hey, yeah, we're going to give Steel Chambers more of a look. I think the most imp- interesting thing, and that was a very good text by Pete, was the idea of Nathan, the shortened season. You don't have the non-conference to work it out. You don't have quite as many games. Listen, man, they're only playing nine before the playoff, and they already played one. Just any decision like this, but it feels like maybe this position is a place where there will be a decision 
the shortened season, how does that factor into this at all? Or do you think that he'll just stay with these two guys and stay and stay and stay until by game six or seven, if, if they can't do it? Well, I think again, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with some of the reads that some people have had about this um, for starters. I mean, I, going back and watching the game, there definitely were times where those guys didn't hit holes, didn't hit them hard. There were definitely other times where they were getting hit in the backfield. Um, Nebraska, I thought Nebraska played pretty well defensively against the run early in this game. They were bringing linebackers on um, run blitzes. Um, they had some other guys to step up and make good plays. Um, I think in a couple of those cases that these running backs need to do a better job of getting some extra yards. Um, but I, as we've said all along, these aren't, these aren't J.K. Dobbins. They're not going to do exactly what um, some Ohio State running backs have done in the past. So there, there is a – I do think people need to expect more, but I think people also need to expect a lower ceiling than what we've had from Ohio State running backs in recent years. So is he going to make a change or not? How does this shortened season affect whether – I don't know that there's a change to be made. I mean, again, people are, are losing their mind about Steel Chambers because he, most of – all most the bulk of his yards came off of, as you pointed out – the book of his yards came off of a draw play on third and long that it doesn't get defended the same way that the, the plays that Teague and Sermon were going up against um, when it's first and 10 from the 40. It's just a very different situation. So let's I mean, maybe Steel Chambers deserves a shot at those first and 10 situations at the 40. I just I don't really have a lot of confidence that they would have turned out all that different. Uh, from the 614, would Brandon Sane immediately be RB1 on this team? It's interesting to me because he's probably the worst running back from 2005 to 2019 to get significant snaps, but I think I'd still take him over Teague or Sermon. That's a really interesting name. I don't think that's a bad comparison for Trey Sermon. Brandon Sane ran a little bit upright. Brandon Sane looked like a track guy out there. But Brandon Sane, I think, was a little bit of an athletic freak who never got used quite as much at Ohio state as maybe he could have been, but also maybe that's because if you would have used him anymore, you would have seen some of his shortcomings. That was a really good, not really good, really solid running back rotation with Brandon Sane and boom Heron when they had that in the mid two thousands and if or late two thousands. And if that's what Teague and sermon could end up being a version of Heron and Sane, I think that would be, pretty productive and productive enough for them for this team to do what they need to do offensively and get where they need to go. But I also don't know that anybody back in the day was saying like, Oh, Brandon saying, Oh, he's awesome. He's dynamic. He's a difference maker. He's better than JK Dobbins, which is just part. As I, you, I say the same thing over and over. A lot of my pushback is against perception. And I, it's not that I think Trey Sermon's a bad player. It's I disagree with the people who say he's more dynamic than JK Dobbins. I disagree with the people who thought, who said, hey, he's going to make them better. So I think they can be fine, but I would like to see more of it. I would like to see more of the hit in the hole, more of the break in the tackles. And if if he ends up being Brandon Sane, good for them. Would Brandon Sane be RB1 on this team? I think he'd be right in the mix with these guys. I think they'd be have a three-headed monster if it was Sane, Sermon, and Teague. But that's part of the point is that, well – you know, when they had, when they were running Heron and Sane, that was productive, but that wasn't Beanie Wells. That wasn't Ezekiel Elliott. That wasn't Carlos Hyde. That wasn't J.K. Dobbins. That wasn't sort of peak Ohio State running back. But I, I just thought the, to invoke the name Brandon Sane there, I thought was interesting and a, and a potentially valuable comparison. Another rapid fire from the 512. Stephen, we'll start with you on this one. I started the season wanting Justin Fields to have zero designed runs. With the running backs being clearly an issue, I'm now changing my tune. Is it crazy to think that the shortened COVID season could really benefit our run game? 
Fields really only needs to be a running threat against Penn State, Michigan, and the potential playoff. Oh, and Rutgers. Ha ha. While I understand he could get hurt on any play, it's much less risk with this schedule. Is there a silver lining to this global pandemic? That's Ty in Austin. Shortened season. Not as many teams he has to do it against. Would that mean, Stephen, that, that Ohio State should be willing to run him more and not be worried about it in the games that matter most? And I would say I would claim that's what they did last year, for instance, when he had 21 carries against Penn State. But how should it work this year and how will it work? I don't necessarily think the shortened season matters of how much they're going to run. I think what matters is he's in his second year. He knows a little bit more. Um, he knows when it's worth it and when it's not worth it. And Ryan Day has pretty much voiced that he believes in that. And Justin Fields feels the same way coming from his quarterback. I asked him straight up, is he asking you to throw it away as often as he did last year? And he said, no, he's not. And so I, I think it's more just Justin Fields is really good when he runs. And his, his coach knows that. And it adds to the running game. But also he knows when it's worth doing it when it's not. And I think that's more important. Against Penn State, it's going to be worth it. Against Maryland, it's not going to be worth it. So he probably won't do it as often. How many carries Penn State game on Saturday, Stephen? 18. I think that probably sounds right. Nathan, do you find this discussion about Hoff and Justin Fields should run it interesting or do you find it uh, repetitive? I don't know. It's, it's, I understand what people, why people ask about the shortened season. Cause you would think on one hand, well, it's less wear and tear on guys, but it's also hopefully eight games in eight weeks and then another game. And then a quick turnaround after that to the playoff, and then a quick turnaround after the national championship, if things go right. So I don't know that the, I don't know that the negated like wear and tear on the body, it, it still adds up in a different way. So I still think, and, and, and you guys kind of you know, threw it back at me a little bit the other night, but I still think this team is better if if Justin Fields doesn't have to run it as much. If Justin Fields, if they can find a way to produce a run game that is respected more, I, I think it helps Ohio State all the way out. It helps Justin Fields take less hits all the way around. It helps him not have to run the ball as much, and it helps their um, – it, it buys you a little bit more room when the passing game as well on early yeah. downs. Right, if – So I don't, I mean, yeah, who's disputing that? Nobody's disputing if they can get a run game that doesn't include him, that's better for them. Can they? That's the question. Will they? Do you think they will? That's the only question. They'll be better than they were last week. I think they will be better than they were last week. And I don't think, I think both the running backs and the offensive line will play better than they did last week. When they play a tough defense and tough situations where they're in some third downs, where they're in some, hey, we got to move the ball here kind of stuff. You think they would feel, hey, um, it's we just took a shot on first down and we barely missed. Now it's second down. We don't want to throw another incompletion, so we're going to run it to set up a third and short. Who runs it against a good defense in a tough spot in the tie game in the third quarter? Are you handing off late, like whether now or, or later in the season? Or are you calling a read where you're expecting Justin Fields is going to keep it? Because, man, you really got to get six or seven here on second and ten. I'm assuming – on Saturday and every other game mm-hmm. they play this season, that's Justin Fields. I am not waiting. I, I think that's a, a fair thing. Yeah. I think it's a fair thing to assume, but that's why I also think that if you're going to run the ball against 15 times against Nebraska, you, you better, like, absolutely have needed to do a 15. Like, I, I just, I don't know how many hits a guy has in his body. And I, I'm always going to be with it with a commodity that important. I hate to talk about a person as if they're a commodity, but his, his production is a commodity. And if, if you're, if you're going to be, if for someone that's that valuable, 
I, I want them taking as few hits as possible in these situations because I want them for those situations. But that gets to the point of the shortened season. They're playing four fewer games than they would play in a normal season. So does that factor in then, right? That's kind of what some people are getting at is, okay, we get it. If you only want Justin Fields to take X number of hits, listen, he saved a month of hits. The pandemic saved a month of hits on him. So you can maybe jack it up a little bit when you really need it if the running game's not working. So that's that's where I think it does get interesting, and I do think maybe it could factor in. And I'm going to keep saying it. I'll be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. We'll come back when I'm wrong. And all of a sudden, Justin Fields did not run it in a big game, and the running backs looked awesome. We'll come back, and I will say I'm wrong. Right now, I am not anticipating that happening in any game that matters this year. Steven, you're you're shaking your head. Yeah. you agree with that? I, I agree. If there's a run to be made in a situation where it matters most, I'm expecting that ball to be in Justin Fields' hands. The schedule doesn't – that Penn, what happened against Penn State had nothing to do with the fact that they played X amount of games by the time he reached that. You can get hurt if he runs one time or if he runs it 21 times. That doesn't matter to me. It, the point of the matter is right now, after seeing one game, we all believe that your best chance to win – if you're going to use a run game is with Justin Fields. And so you have to approach it that way until those two show you otherwise. And listen, he's not JT Barrett. I mean, it's not going to be that it's not going to be the most extreme version of when urban leans leaned on the quarterback run. I mean, but the scrambles are part of it, but a lot of it is his decision to keep. Yeah. And every now and then a QB drawer, that kind of thing. But, but you call a read and there's an RPO or there's, you can hand it off to the running back, but in the end, the quarterback, yes, the defense forces you into things sometimes. But also sometimes it kind of could go either way. And it's about who that quarterback believes in the most in the moment. You know who Justin Fields believes in? Justin Fields. That's who I'd believe in too. So again, that's why I just think we're going to have this discussion all year. And we're going to talk about how he's not going to run. It's going to run 17 times when it matters. And I think, but I think in the end that can work. Do I think he's going to get hurt? No, I don't think he's going to get hurt. Might he get hurt? Anybody might get hurt, but I don't think he'll get like worn down. And I don't want to be blasé about an unpaid amateur putting his body on the line when he's also getting ready for an NFL career. You can't abuse the guy. And Ryan Day is not going to abuse the guy. But if they need him to run 19 times against Penn State or they need him to run, you know, 17 times against Michigan, I think Justin Fields will line up to do that. And I think he can help them win a national title doing exactly that. Um, Let's talk about this real quick. I do want us to, to talk briefly about stories we would really direct you guys to read because we are putting up some good stuff at cleveland.com we're kind of in like the season flow here of what's going on so we're going to try to do this a little more often we know that we have a great podcast audience here i think i tweeted it i'm not sure i said it our audience we got more downloads on this podcast on sunday than i think we ever had in the five-year history of it and then on monday we beat that So that's how much you guys were enthused about the start of this Ohio state football season. Cause when you're downloading it Sunday, you're one, that's the post game pod. And then Monday, that's the Monday madness pod and the remnants of the post game pod. So we appreciate you guys doing that, but we're also doing great stuff on the site. Nathan, what's a story you would like to direct our listeners to on cleveland.com. Sorry. I didn't have the uh, site up, so I didn't have my, my headline ready to go, but I wrote about the offensive line this morning and kind of some of these conversations that we had, I went back in and went through the game and kind of went play by play and found some instances where I thought that the offensive line 
need. So basically the headline was off Ohio state football's offensive line frustrated by beginning, but confident in where they're headed, because I still think this is a team that, that sees the ceiling it should have and didn't really have a great explanation as to why they, they, they felt like this was a good game from an assignment standpoint for them that they didn't have a bunch of, and when you go back and look at the game, I don't think I saw a bunch of games, a bunch of instances where they were getting you know, blown up or, or looked like they didn't know what they were doing or were caught out of, out of place, but just a game where, again, a combination of Nebraska playing well defensively up front, running backs needing to play better. It's just this, we, 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 I think we, we assumed so much of this offensive line. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself here, assume so much of this offensive line would be able to come out from day one and just dominate. I don't really think it, it didn't look like that on Saturday. So here was kind of why that didn't look like that, but why they still think it can look like that down the line. I would direct people to the Garrett Wilson story that I talked about the headlines. Garrett Wilson explains how two receiver roles for Ohio state football bring out the basketball player in him. I asked Garrett when we had him on Tuesday about two specific plays. I asked him to talk me through it. It was the touchdown when he was on the, as an outside receiver, the long touchdown from Justin Fields and the fourth and five, when he was lined up with Ruckert, I have the gifs in there of the plays. He talks you through what they were trying to do on that play. And I think what's interesting about this guy is he has retained, of course, the outside receiver skills he showed last year. And now he showed what he can do in the slot. And so I said, you know, I mean, he's got a little bit of like Devin Smith down the field stuff when he's outside and then inside in the slot, he can be like a reliable KJ Hill type of guy. So I just think he's rare. He's going to be different, I think, in a lot of ways than um, other great receivers that have come through Ohio State. Michael Thomas, if they had done exactly this kind of stuff, and he did it, he moved all over the field. Michael Thomas could do this, t- this kind of stuff. But there are some great receivers where you're more one of the other, and Garrett Wilson is both. And I thought he was really interesting talking about it. So I would direct you to that at cleveland.com slash OSU. Stephen, how about you? Yeah, just kind of speaking on the Justin Fields running stuff. By the time a lot of you guys hear this, this will be up on the site on Thursday. It's called Ryan Day is fine with Justin Fields running more for Ohio State football in 2020, and you should be too. And it's focused on two plays. It's focused on both kind of in the goal line situations. There's one play where he scrambles when Garrett Wilson is wide open in the end zone and probably should have had his second touchdown. Justin Fields saw it, but when I asked him about it, he felt like it was a – he saw green gas in the – grass, I'm sorry, not gas – grass and thought the better option was to take off with his feet he didn't score there but they scored on the next drive but the point is that's where he decided to use use his feet and it didn't necessarily pay off in the same way and what the conversation is like with a wide receiver when you have a situation like that but then later on in the game when he did score same situation he didn't see somebody downfield he didn't think anybody was open so he took off and it paid off because they scored so it's just these Ryan Day and Justin Fields talking about the balance of that Justin Fields has learned in his second year as a starting quarterback of Yes, I'm a great runner, but be smart about it and know when it's worth it and when it's not. So I want to stay on Justin Fields for a second, because one of the other survey questions I put out to our tech subscribers, again, if you want to be part of stuff like this, I'm going to try to we're doing chain restaurant surveys, but I also want to send out football surveys every week just to get a feel for where people are thinking about this team players on this team, the context of how Ohio State fits in to the national scene. I asked one game in is Justin Fields going to win the Heisman. And in the preseason, all three of us picked Justin Fields to win the Heisman. Uh, Nathan, if you had to guess, what was the breakdown on yes, no? I didn't give a weird third answer. Just yes or no, is Justin Fields going to win the Heisman from our tech subscribers? Uh, 63% yes. What do you think, Stephen? 75% yes. 46% yes. I think people Hmm. are scared of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence got a big lead because of the schedule. I think it's an issue. I think it's going to be hard. I think, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have to give something back 
a little bit for Justin. I don't know that just Justin being awesome will get him there just the way that Trevor Lawrence started. Steven, you do a Heisman watch for us. How much do you think that might factor in now that we've seen Justin for one week? And it was hard. Like, Justin was awesome. Justin was awesome on Saturday. But he didn't throw for 450 yards and five touchdowns, right? So, like, Stephen, where are you right now with this very early Heisman jockeying? Yeah, I put Justin third this week because obviously he worked his way back into this. But I think the problem is they're right. Justin was awesome, but Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones were awesome first. And so that's the first thing that's in your head and you're comparing everything to that, which has been Justin Fields' problem his entire college career is he keeps getting compared to a guy who just got to do things before he did. Not all his fault, but that's the, the way of life for Justin Fields right now. And I think he needs a little, he needs a loud game against Penn State because uh, Trevor Lawrence and Mac, James have had, Mac Jones have had loud games against Georgia and Miami, and they're going to get some other opportunities later in the season to have loud games. But Justin needs his first against Penn State on prime time with everybody watching to kind of make up for that lost ground of everybody's going to compare everything to what those two are already doing. I think people, people are going to give a little bit on stats, right? Because again, yeah. it's not going to be about cumulative stats anyway. It's going to be about per game and whatever. And so I think I test being awesome when it matters, mm-hmm. just looking like a special guy is going to factor in. This is a great opportunity for him. It's just tough though. It's just, like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel bad for Justin Fields because Justin Fields doesn't need me to feel bad for him, but he's just had a couple things thrown in his path here. And that again, to your point, Steven, that like Trevor Lawrence has just had a little bit of a straighter road yeah. to get where he wants to get. And Justin Fields road has had to wiggle a little bit. Now in a pandemic, all of our roads are wiggling, but man, it's like, this guy has it all lined up. He finishes it way ahead. He, Justin's third in the Heisman voting last year. Trevor Lawrence is eighth. Justin's got it all lined up. And now it's like, Mm -hmm. by the time he played his first game, Trevor Lawrence had played like half a season already. And Justin's like, can I just have equal footing? Do I not have to start a hundred yards behind the guy? He's going to be fine. Justin is going to be fine. He's going to have a great athletic career and he is going to accomplish tremendous things. And we're not, it's not only about a comparison to Trevor Lawrence. Because once you're in the NFL, you're not being compared to one guy. You're being compared to 31 other guys and all the starting quarterbacks in the league. And I think Justin Fields is going to be good. But it does kind of stink for him. Like Nathan, like, right, doesn't it? It's just kind of a little bit of a fart of like, ah, oh, man, like he, he is. I feel like he is starting behind in this race. I think Justin Fields is more behind in the Heisman race than Ohio State is in the playoff race. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. But that's yeah. that's, but that's easier because you're only going for one spot instead of four. So it, you should be farther behind. If you're behind at all, you're farther behind. Um, if you're second place, you're farther behind than you are in the playoffs. Um, now the other thing I would say about and like as far as the early career stuff, he made a decision to go somewhere where playing right away wasn't going to be as easy to do. So, but 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 so but, did Trevor. They both had to beat out a quarterback who was in the playoff the year before. It's just, as I wrote after the Indiana game last year, one chose Trevor and the other one chose Jake Fromm. That's, I mean. I don't think there's a, yeah, I think you're right, Steve. There's not a great distinction between Jake Fromm and Kelly Bryant and what those situations were. Especially seeing how both quarterbacks have turned out now. It's clear that Justin Fields is the better option than Jake Fromm. And it's clear that Trevor Lawrence is the better option than Kelly Bryant. 
And that's the other thing too. Like he could have played earlier this year too, if he had stayed at Georgia. And I don't think that was the right decision. And I think he's the place where he's supposed to be. I'm just saying that, that sometimes it is just, I, I agree with you that it, it can be just sort of bad luck. He had done everything he needed to do to put himself ahead of the race and through no fault of his own, as it relates to COVID-19 for sure, that's not happening. He keeps being the little brother who has to follow the in big brother's shoe steps all the time. That's part, that's what it is. I'm sure he would punch you in the neck if he heard you say that. Cause I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. That's no, not no. how he sees it at all. No, no, that's not how he sees it at all. It's, 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 um, I don't know what, I mean, it's Why just, it, <laughs> no, I always think the neck would hurt. Right. I don't know that you don't want to hurt somebody. You don't want to like mess up their face. Cause you got to do zooms and stuff. But I don't want to punch. You don't want to punch him in the gut. It just feels like the neck would be a place that you wouldn't do any like damage in terms of how things would look. But it would probably hurt a lot. Um, I'm curious where I, I wanted to get a vibe. And as we're going through this, and when I read all the tech subscriber questions, I get a vibe for how people are thinking. And it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's just if you're sending in a, a something, a comment, and you're taking time. This is life. You're not usually sending in. I feel great. They are wonderful. It's just not how stuff works most of the time. That's why somebody texted in that I look like Ted Bundy. You know, they didn't text in that I look like Ryan Reynolds. They texted in that I look like a serial killer. Because if you think I look like Ryan Reynolds, then you just probably think that to yourself. I, you, don't, you don't need to tell Doug that. But if you think to yourself, you know what? Doug reminds me of an infamous serial killer. That's something you want to share. Now, I will say that infamous serial killer is known as a very handsome serial killer. So wasn't my comparison, but if I'm going to be a serial killer, I'd like to be a good looking one. Well, I think you should say he, he's, he was seen as very handsome, not a very handsome serial killer. It's not just relative to other serial killers. He was actually yeah. like a good looking dude. Which is what made him a good serial killer in the first place. So, I mean. And, and I probably would not be a good serial killer because I'm loud, right? Mm. I mean, like I'm, I'm not very... I don't like blend into the background. It'd be like, I'd be, I'd be coming out here and being like, you guys would not believe what I did this weekend. And it would be like, were you being a serial killer? Um, so <laughs> let me guess. <laughs> I mean, so along those lines, I did ask this question. How do you currently feel about the Buckeyes after week one? And when I ask questions like this, I usually like to give four answers that range from like awesome to varying degrees of not quite as awesome. So basically so my, my top level was awesome. I think they'll win the national title. That's how you feel about them. Next was great. They're a sure playoff team, but I wonder if they're at the Alabama Clemson level. Next was good. They're the best team in the Big Ten, but there are some questions. And then last was feeling okay. I think they're a little vulnerable and a conference loss is a real possibility. So of those four, basically awesome, great, good, okay. Nathan, which do you think won from our tech subscribers and how you're feeling about the Buckeyes? Um, I would say good. Steven? Yeah, good. Oh, good. Okay, it's great. It was 60%, 59% great. So 59% great, 26% good, 10% awesome, 5% okay. So the top two levels got 70% which is pretty good. The bottom two levels got 31%. So that's that. that so you think people, that people are actually feeling better than you expected. You were not, Stephen, you were not expecting the whole avalanche of awesome answers based off Nebraska week one. 
No, just because I think that game just validated what everybody's been thinking for the last six months about what's good about this Ohio State team and what still has a question mark by it. It's not, you know, we thought the passing game would be great, and it was. It wasn't like, you know, Justin Fields threw four interceptions, and we thought the secondary had some questions, and they do a little bit, and we thought the running game would be probably the the biggest, the weakest link of the entire team. And after week one, they are. So I think you can be happy with that, knowing that there's still some room to grow. Another question I asked was, how did you feel watching the Buckeyes in week one? The top level was overwhelmed with joy at them finally playing. Then it was great. Felt like a normal, fun Ohio State Saturday. Then good, but not quite normal because life is still weird. And then okay, but really quite concerned about the virus and what it might do to the season. So overwhelmed with joy at the top, then great, good, okay. Nathan, what do you think won? Probably one of those top two. Um I'll I'll say the the top one, Stephen. Yeah, overwhelmed, especially once they put that freaking trailer out. That was, I think that was like the cherry on top for fans, especially week one. Forty-one percent overwhelmed with joy. That one, twenty-nine percent only good. Twenty-two percent great. Nine percent okay. So again, in the breakdown, the top two got sixty-three percent. The bottom two got thirty-seven percent. So it's about two-thirds, one-third. One-third, I mean, again, tech subscribers are the most loyal, hardcore Ohio State fans. That a third of them were in the bottom two categories combined was a little surprising for me. Nathan, 9% okay, but concerned about the virus. What do you think of that? Again, this is the most most loyal Ohio State fans. We got 9% really quite worried about this. I mean, I guess what what point today did you send that out? Could like the Wisconsin results have played into that? Yeah, possible a little bit at I sent all it this morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was since Mertz, but before the game was canceled when I sent it yeah. out. But you might have voted after it was canceled. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are some events still out there circulating that might have colored people's response to that a little bit. Um, but I like I said before, I think there's always been reason to have that kind of in the back of your head, like. Um, regardless of, I mean, what we saw as far as games getting hit on, but like every week we hear just that, that concern from fans, like, are we going to know when a guy tests positive? Are we going to know why a guy is out? I think they, they are aware that it could happen. Even if it's just a one guy, it could be a valuable guy from week to week. All right. Let's get back to a little bit of rapid fire. We have one more text survey question that I'm going to save for a little bit later. It's the Ohio state position group you're most concerned about for Saturday against Penn State. But first I want to do this, kind of finishing up the run game a little bit from the 814. What would you need to see from the running game to officially move you into one of these two camps? Either the running game is a problem or the running game will be good enough. So that what what are we looking for that would kind of really put us in a spot? I'll go first because I'm kind of at the, and again, I'm trying to thread the needle on this. There's a difference to me between running game and running backs. I actually think the running game might be fine because that's offensive line and Justin Fields in addition to the running backs. I am, as you have heard multiple times, much less certain that the running backs will be okay. But what I would need, so I still, I think I would, I'm more in the camp of that. It might be not a problem, but like a, maybe an issue. If I see master Teague and Trey Sermon breaking tackles, getting yards on their own, looking confident, hitting the hole hard, having great vision. If they come out, and 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 it would be this week, because I don't know that doing it against Rutgers or Maryland in the next two weeks is really going to do much for me. But if they can come out and look like, hey, man, like 
they're getting some yards on their own. That's going to move me into the running game will be a good enough camp. But until if I don't feel like Sermon and Teague can do some stuff on their own and we got some really interesting emails, some people pushing back against it, you know, that there's any issue because I'm taking it beyond, hey, Nebraska had a weird front or hey, there weren't holes there. Even if it's a normal front and the holes are there, I think they will get through holes when they're there. It's just sometimes a hole's not there. And what are they going to do when that happens? That's what I still have in my head. So if I see them breaking tackles and, and getting wiggly and having great vision on cutbacks and stuff, that's what will change me. Nathan, how would you describe the camp you're in right now and what might change you to a different camp? Yeah, I mean, I still do have some skepticism. I think the thing that struck me about that game Saturday was, if you remember going back to even the Florida Atlantic last year, where that's the first star for Josh Myers. It wasn't the first star for White Davis, but it was his first game as a starter, if that makes sense. So Josh Myers was kind of talking about it as if that was like their starting debut last year. And there were instances in that very first game, and again, it's a different opponent than Nebraska, a different level of opponent than Nebraska, I would argue. But like those guys were just going out and just like flattening some people in that first game. You saw it and Jonah Jackson was doing it too. Just I didn't see that much of that this past week. So I think I think the a big sign for this running game will be the first time that Harry Miller goes out and like pops somebody like that and like has one of those like decleat moments. I think that's gonna be a big moment for him. I think it's gonna be a big moment for that whole offensive line because then it starts to just add to the confidence that that whole unit has that there really is no weak link there. I'm not calling him a weak player necessarily, but he was the only one who didn't grade as a champion. I think he was the one that that has the, the bigger um journey to make between catching up to the, the accomplishments of the rest of that group, the, the performance of the rest of that group. Steven, where, where, how would you describe the camp you're in right now with the run game and what might move you? To, to your point, some consistency with it. I need to see a multiple series of that because obviously Trey Sermon has showed some moments where he can break a tackle off and run it for a touchdown and get a big gain. And so has master Teague, but I need to see, maybe even a full half of you know both of those guys get their respective series and they put together two, three or four series in a row where it looks like there's something there and it's not just a flash in the pan. Cause then I can believe in it. I can't get, I'm, yeah, you're a power five running back. I expect you every so often to break one. That's just how this goes. But can you consistently do that where it's reliable? And I need to see that for at least a full half from both of those guys. All right, this is a little bit of a transition. I want to use the question to transition us because we're going to talk about something in the next rapid-fire question that has something to do with the Ohio State linebackers. This was the question, the last survey question, the Ohio State position group that you're most concerned about for Saturday against Penn State. These were the options that I gave people. The secondary, the defensive line, the linebackers. So I split up the defense into three groups and included everybody on the defense. And then running back. I didn't include quarterback. I didn't include offensive line. I didn't include receivers. So of those four, and then I gave an other. Some people voted other. I'll tell you that 5% said other. Of those five, of those four groups, linebacker, running back, defensive line, secondary, Steven, which one do you think people said they had the most concern about? I, I mean, maybe defensive line. Uh, outside of running back, defensive line, maybe. So running back's your answer? Because yeah, running back's running one of the back. options. Yeah. Okay. Nathan. I think they probably did say running back, but they should have said linebacker. I think that's actually maybe the biggest matchup for this game. 37% linebacker, 36% running back, 20% defensive line, 2% secondary. So 
decently divided between the top three, but linebacker and running back really neck and neck on this. And this is where I think the linebackers do factor in a little bit. It's our 10th rapid fire question from the two one five. It's Kurt in Philly. I'm very worried about Sean Clifford's mobility and off schedule playmaking. Also baby Gronk giving our linebacker issues in coverage. That's Pat, Pat Fryermuth, the Penn state tight end. What adjustments will our defense need to do to keep these two players contained? Play Proctor as a bullet covering baby Gronk? Or do you think the scheme is fine and the players progressing with experience and defensive chemistry will be enough? When you hear about that, Sean Clifford, and again, I was talking to one of my friends who covers Penn State this week. He was talking about how Sean Clifford was bad. He thought Sean Clifford was not very good in the first three quarters against Indiana, but the way he got himself going in the fourth quarter was by running it. And then that kind of got him going a little bit but he did tough out some yards and he did hang in there. And he thinks that my friend said that, you know, just that Friar Muth at tight end is just the guy that obviously Sean Clifford believes in the most. And a year ago, we saw Pete Werner locked up with Pat Friar Muth a lot. And we obviously understand that's not going to be Pete Werner on Saturday because they switch positions. We expect that'll be Baron Browning, or maybe could it be Josh Proctor? So this is where linebackers was the number one, barely the number one group they're most concerned about. Nathan, when you hear this, Sean Clifford, running covering the tight end and dealing with that what do you think is the solution for the ohio state defense here or or like we know what they'll give up some stuff but but they'll be fine or do you think it might be a real issue i think on early downs it is going to come down to the linebackers playing well and 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 living up to what they did last year i mean i think think, uh, werner did a decent job against fryermuth last year from what i remember um, and now I know that that's going to be on somebody new for the most part. It's probably going to be on Browning a lot, but I don't think the op, I don't think the solution is to just play nickel all the time and maybe leave yourself more vulnerable against the run. I know Penn State is compromised there right now at running back, but um, I, I don't think that's the solution. I think that's the option on third down. I think that's where you get some some maybe more advantageous matchups. But on early down, I think it's going to come down to Ohio State's linebackers playing like linebackers and 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 doing what linebackers have to do, which is cover tight ends in in uh, in in in, in coverage, uh, occasionally really good ones. And, and you do think though this is a is this a legitimate thing for fans to be concerned about right now? I mean, he's probably Penn State's best player at this point like pound for pound. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, I think he, if, if you can contain him, I like your chances of beating them. What do you think, Steven? How, how big of a deal should we make? I, I mean, I do think the Clifford running thing is interesting too. We saw both Martinez and McCaffrey do that. Some of it was wrinkly stuff. It wasn't just necessarily in the flow of the game, but Clifford running it and then throw into the tight end. How, how big of a, we know Penn state's kind of good at it, but how much of a concern is it for Ohio state? I'm concerned about Clifford running because the defensive ends did a terrible job of containing uh, Adrian Martinez last last week. And I want to see if that's improved in week two, especially given what that rotation is. But I'm very intrigued by the Pat Mar- fire move situation. He six catches for 40 yards last year is what Pete Warner held him to. And Jeff Havley called that. A, a, he said he did a really good job. That's what they're looking for. They don't care about the number of receptions. They care about the yards afterward. And he held them in check. Can Baron Brown can, can the combination of Baron Browning and then Josh Proctor do the same thing this year and, and be Stadium? That's that's what is interesting to me. Last year they just put Pete Warner on the entire game. This year, I mean, if it's third down, maybe Josh Proctor's on him in the first two downs. It's it's Baron Browning on him. I'm intrigued whether or not, you know, if Pat Fryer move has six to seven catches, is it sixty to seventy yards instead of the forty yards that it was last season? Can I ruin everyone's plans here for a second? Pat Frymuth, 6'5", 258. 
Josh yeah. Proctor, Josh Proctor, six, two, two Oh two. It's not Proctor. It's not Proctor. Baron Browning, six, three, two thirty. Pete Werner, six, three, two forty two. Occurred him last year. I think it's right. Baron Browning. I think it's mm-hmm. Baron Browning's big day. And Baron Browning sometimes is in the wrong spot. And that just happens. But I think it's probably the mo the, the, the thread that carries through Baron Browning's career a little bit is eh, kind of in the wrong gap or maybe not quite, uh, you know, if he is, takes a wrong step a couple times here, you know, Pat Frymuth gives him a little bit of an out and then comes back in and there's a 21 yard gain over the middle, or, you know, it's third and six and, and Frymuth runs out and turns around and boxes him out. And Sean Clifford hits him in the gut and Baron Browning's right on his back, but he lost leverage. And all of a sudden it's 11 yard gain on third and six. Like I'm ready for that. I mean, Pete Warner was pretty good at that. Pete Warner battled his butt off last year to try to deal with that, that guy who's big and athletic and Baron Browning's going to have to battle his butt off. And it's like, he's just, it's never quite been his job before, you know? So I really like Baron Browning, I think he will leave Ohio State never being used to his maximum talents. I still don't know that when you look at Baron Browning, it's like, what do you want that guy to do? It's like, I know, cover a tight end. It's like, is it? That's what you want him doing in this game? Can you line him up a little bit? Can you let him just chase a running back and tackle him? Can you let him pass rush a little bit? You're just going to have him chase stand around with a six, five tight end all game. That's it. I'm not saying it can't do it. I'm saying I'm wondering if he can do it and it's going to be a big deal. And then these runs up the middle when, when, when they get a little edgy with the pass rush, if the defensive tackles give up some ground and there's a hole up the middle. And I think Clifford will take that. And then you need the linebackers to chase him down and will Baron Browning and Pete Werner and tough Borland do that. I think it's a, I think this is exactly when people voted linebacker number one of why they were concerned about it for this game. I think the texture and what he pointed out with Clifford on the run and the tight end is exactly why you would be concerned about that. So it's reasonable. I think it's a game. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's a game now. And we'll get into the pick spot. Tell me what Penn state's going to do with Justin Fields. If we're going to stand around and be like, how can Ohio state stop Sean Clifford from running? Oh no. It's like, what you're going to play 15 guys on defense. How are you stopping Justin Fields? So that's the other side of this, but I do think for this Ohio state defense, there might be a thing or two there that might be a problem. Would it make sense to do something? I mean, could you see them taking um, Mitchell, putting him on the, especially even in these nickel situations, like put Mitchell in at will and just slide Warner back over to where he played last year as that, or not really, I guess Browning was still there, but to have him be the guy on Fryermuth in those nickel situations. I mean, it's just one of those. Well, how they talked about it. I mean. You think what, Steven? It's just, I, I, I see what you're saying. It's just not the way that they've talked about Pete Werner. And then, and what, then why did you move him? him? Yeah. because like, we're going to move him except this is when a, we need him. Well, this no, is I'm a just talking like, about perfect I, game for that whole scenario of, no, more importantly, Baron Browning's the will and he can chase everybody around and do what made him a five-star guy. And Pete Warner can do exactly what he was so good at last year. I'm just saying on early downs, you would leave it the way it is, but I'm talking about mm-hmm. what you would do on later downs. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you might put, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, just like we're talking about, oh, would you shoot, move Sean Wade into the slot when you're playing Rondale Moore? It's like, well, Sean Wade's not your slot corner anymore. So no, yes, but- I understand. I understand putting best players on best players, but also he plays a different position now. If you actually thought that that was your best way to win, then you should just make that his position. I don't know. So well, I, but there are such things as matchups. Yeah, like, they, they, not they, every they team is the same. Not every opponent's the same. Last year, where they wanted to go good on good, so they put him in the slot. Not the entire time, but just on certain snaps they did. So maybe, and maybe out of desperation. I mean, let's get back to us when Pat Frymuth has six catches for yeah. 81 yards on their first two drives. And it's like, Pete, Pete, <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete. Hey, Pete. So I, I, I'm not I'm not disputing it, Nathan. I just don't know that it can be like your your first option, because then it's like, well, then what what are you doing? But I think you do make a good point. You got to stop their best players. They don't have six skill guys like Frymuth. I mean, he's the guy. So if he's killing you or you think he's going to kill you, then I I think I I, I don't think it's impossible. But then it would just lead me to sort of question, what are we doing here to begin with? You know, it's like Pete Werner is no longer covering tight ends unless it's a good tight end. It's just kind of weird to me. But I know what you're saying. Maybe if it's on third and seven and you're like 85 percent sure that's where Clifford's going, then maybe put Pete Werner on him. I get it. I get it. Let's do this. The bet. I got four rapid fire questions left. I want to get to some chain restaurant discussion, but I want to run through the ideas about what Nathan should have to do to pay off the bet from last week. If people haven't listened to the pod, I gave Nathan 29 with Nebraska like um, three weeks ago. The official line was more like 26. Ohio State was up by 28. And then they scored a garbage time touchdown by accident that Ryan Day had to apologize for. But Jack Miller got in the end zone and saved me from being the person who has to figure out the punishment here. And as we said, the ideas are mostly beard-related, food-related, news conference-related, and pod-related. There were a couple others that were thrown out. From the 316, the loser has to trick-or-treat dressed as Alex Grinch in Oklahoma game day gear. So would you be willing to do that, Nathan? Would you dress up as Alex Grinch for trick-or-treat? Well, I, I, if trick-or-treating is on Saturday, I'll be a little bit busy in State College, Pennsylvania, covering a game. So Go to the game dressed as Alex Grinch. <laughs> that, would that's you, definitely not happening. Would you go? Okay, this was another one from the 419. The loser has to wear a mask of the winner's choosing for a week. That was the one that I suggested, that the, the loser had to wear a mask with the other person's face on it. So can you order those? Are, are you, can you order custom designed masks? Like you send in a photo and get a mask made? Probably, although my wife oh. has also made masks that we wear. So it may be something that we could even do on our own. Hey, honey, would you make a mask of Doug's face for me to wear? <laughs> you really want to do that? That's where oh, you I don't want to do any of this, but I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another one from the 217. The loser of the bet has to write a 10,000 word summary after the Ohio State Rutgers game. So just like drudgery, a 10,000 word, we'll do it. It'll be another online book. 
We did a, like a 35,000 word online book about Ohio State's whole 2019 season. Now we're going to do 10,000 words just on Ohio State Rutgers. That would end up being punishment for Doug and Steven because they would have to write all the stories that I wasn't writing because I was writing 10,000 words of garbage about Rutgers. And that would also be punishment for our tech subscribers because then they would have to read 10,000 words about uh, about Rutgers. Um, let's try stuff that you'd have to do on the pod. Well, the, the pod stuff is kind of the best stuff. Let's do beard stuff first. Um, here's a beard one. If I win, Nathan shaves his beard. And if, and if Nathan wins, uh, I have to grow a beard. So is, is shaving your beard off the table? I think so. I mean, I, 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 I think it is. To be That's fair, a- when you're out in public, you have to have a mask on. So most people aren't going to see you. Oh, yeah. I could just say I shaved it. Yeah. You could have the mask of my face on over your beardless face. Um, from the 614, loser gets a new haircut. Choice of the winner. So that's like sort of head related. I could pick your haircut. I could make you get a mohawk. Um, Chris <laughs> from Columbus says the loser has to go without shaving his facial hair for the month of November. That way the loser will have to go without shaving for 30 days. That includes Thanksgiving, so the loser can look back at holiday photos from 2020 and realize how terrible he looks with facial hair and remember that he lost the bet. So I like the idea of making someone have photos that they have to look at for the rest of their life to remember the fact that Jack Miller screwed you in the last 30 (laughs) seconds. Um, And the other one was grow or shave a mustache must be at peak mustache for the Michigan game. So how much beard or mustache trimming do you undergo right now? If you just let it go, it would be like a giant beard in a month. Um, I don't know about a giant beard. It would be pretty scraggly, but I don't grow. It wouldn't be like mountain man. I don't think because I don't, I, I really don't, especially now in the age of COVID where I, again, I don't have to interact with the public and I'm not like out in people seeing my face as much. Like I, I don't trim it that much. Like I just have a, a thing with a guide a couple times a week. Maybe it's not, it's not intensive. So um, actually I kind of like, maybe that's the one I should pick because yeah. I think it would be like the least, I already have most of the beard. Like what, what's it? So I don't shave for a month. Yeah. It'd be like, then, hey, then I'm on like this honor system too. Like, how would you guys know? No, it just grows really, really, really slow in November. Yeah. The cold now, weather. Slows what a punishment. It down. I remember that time Nathan's beard grew an eighth of an inch and it was awesome. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, so the food stuff, there's a lot of Chick-fil-A stuff, Nathan, that people are pushing back. They know you don't love like Chick-fil-A that. from the three, two, three, make him eat Chick-fil-A for a week straight. Would that, would you that's feel like that's healthy. a punishment to eat Chick-fil-A for a week? Or would you kind of enjoy that even though it's not your favorite? I mean, it's, I've never said that it was bad food. I've just said that it's overrated. Okay. From the five, one, three. So again, early- let's do that one. Let's do that one. And then you could report on it. I mean, just like constantly you're eating it for a week. It could be yeah, like a supersize me kind of thing. <laughs> a 10,000 word story. <laughs> how I came to be sick of Chick-fil-A in one week. Yeah. I like that. Whatever you do, you do have to write a 10,000 word story about it at the end of it. From the 513 in the early days of Buckeye Talk, if I'm remembering correctly, either Doug or Ari ate a hundred Chick-fil-A nuggets on an episode. If that never happened, then I'm sorry for misremembering, but the loser of this bet must eat a hundred Chick-fil-A nuggets on the pot. So that was me. And I tried to eat a hundred and I couldn't eat a hundred. <laughs> I ate 73. I think it was. And I ate them during the course of the podcast. So I don't know, Nathan, that might, you know, would you be willing to try to eat a hundred nuggets live on a podcast? Or is that not really your, your cup of tea? Of course. Like, why would I not do that? Of course. Like, All right, that sounds like. 
That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. What is your soda drink of choice typically? Um, like Diet Dr. Pepper is probably my favorite. Okay. Someone suggested that I that you would have to drink Diet Coke or that I would have to drink Coke Zero, and I hate Coke Zero, so that would have been punishment for me. Oh, okay. But you do do you drink Diet Coke? Would Diet Coke be a punishment for you? No, or that's normal. No, okay, it's fine. Um, a lot of chain restaurant stuff. Loser has to eat at the worst chain restaurant for a week, so we could make you do that. This one I think actually might be in the running from the two one six. It's Joseph in Atlanta. For the bet, are you familiar with the one chip challenge? It's a tortilla chip made with a crazy spicy pepper, so much so that the bag comes with a warning about wearing mm. gloves when handling the chip and keeping it away from children. Does that entice you at all, Nathan, or does that sound awful? Or, or would you be intrigued to eat something so spicy you have to wear gloves? No, I mean, it sounds awful. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, a punishment is a punishment. So if someone wanted to acquire said chip, you I would eat put it that on the list. You, okay, um, okay. It's, not, it's not my front runner, but I don't know. I don't know okay. if I get to fully be the only one that picks what happens here. I'm this one I thought chip. You, you like the chip, Steven, or no? I like the chip. Okay. This one was odd from the 614. The loser eats two cans of corn. I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Is that a thing? Like, like raw? Are you like cooking it? Or Yeah, that's the question. Because if you're I just cooking it, okay. Do people want to watch Nathan eat corn on the podcast? I mean, I think we could, we could try something like that. This was a little more extreme. From the 515, make the loser eat something they normally wouldn't. You can find most of these at local Asian stores, such as crickets, dried mealworms, squid, pig's feet. Um, cow brain bull testicle would be at the extreme end of things. And they want to want you to do it during a podcast. Would you be up for that at all? Eat bull testicle on Buckeye talk, uh, man. Uh, or would you rather go spicy? Would you rather do the spicy? Chip I'd rather or- do spicy than bull testicle. Yes. Okay. Buckeye. Talk. Cause it's just I- one. Ch- <laughs> it's also just one chip as opposed to having to eat a whole bull testicle. Okay. I'd rather do spicy, which I assume are not. Uh, I assume have some have some size to them. All right, so here's like news. <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna get you a bull testicle, we are getting assume, you the like, largest right. bull testicle we can find. Or we could, you could eat, you could maybe we could do this. You could eat my guinea pigs testicles, <laughs> which which would then also. I've heard those are pretty ample us. too, from what yeah. you told I hope us. Nobody from Peta listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, dear dear Peta. How would you cook a guinea pig's <laughs> testicles if you cut them off and fed them to your podcast co-host? Um, a couple people went down, like making you do like an embarrassing thing on a Zoom, ask an embarrassing question at a press conference. That's so from the 727 or uh, from the 321. How about the loser has to wear a sign around his neck during the weekly press conference Zoom call that says Doug was right or something like that. So then Ryan Day could be like, what the, I don't know, you know. Have Nicholas Petit Frere be like, hey, guy with a beard, who's Doug and why was he right? I'm not sure we want to go down that road. That would actually affect our job, right? Yeah, I mean, that one doesn't bother me as much as like, I don't think I'd want to ask an embarrassing question. There's only so many questions to go around. I don't want to waste our colleagues time um, with a with a question like that. But the other one, uh, it might just come and go with anybody really noticing. I don't know how much Ryan Day is actually paying attention to me or my face or anything when he's hearing my questions. So it might yeah, slip a, by unnoticed. If it's a sign, it's just better to do it for a video. And he just wears the sign and we don't, we don't even acknowledge that he's wearing it, but it's there. And then people in the comments can just like, 
come to their own conclusion of how he ended up wearing this side. And then people who really follow us and watch it and listen to this podcast and the text subscribers can educate them and tell them they should sign up because then he'll do more stuff like this. That's Even not a bad idea. Like the post game videos, which you guys did after the game socially distanced post-game videos. That's not a bad idea. The rest of the suggestions all come into things you would have to do on this podcast from the 410. If Nathan wins, Doug has to write an essay defending Purdue's football program. If Doug wins, then Nathan has to write an essay on why Doug is the better reporter. So I like that one. I like that one. Um, This one uh, if Doug loses from the 610, if Doug loses, Nathan has to give a bunch of opinions. The more controversial, the better. And Doug has to listen and not respond or comment. So that makes me glad that I didn't lose because that would have been torture for me. Uh, this one I think is possible. Rick from Georgia in the 419. If Doug loses, he has to round up his fast food order for charity every time he's asked for the next week. Torture. Nathan loses. He has to address Doug as my good sir for the next week. So you could address me as my good sir in the podcast uh, every time. This one, not bad for the podcast from the 706. The loser does the podcast outside in shorts and a t-shirt for five minutes, but it has to be like freezing. So that could be, that could be possible. This one, and this is like more work from the 614. The loser has to plan and host Buckeye Talk all week. So like just do like, hey, process the podcast five times, which wouldn't be the best thing in the world. Shirtless, we got a shirtless one. Uh, the loser does the weekly Zoom call shirtless. That's from the three, two, one. This one's not bad. From the two, six, oh, the loser has to sing a song on Buckeye Talk. The winner chooses the song. Hmm. That one I kind of, that one I kind of maybe like. Um, from the two, six, nine, if Nathan loses, then Doug has to do the entire next podcast in his Southern grandfather voice. <laughs> Mm. Why, why, not, why torture yeah, that's a punishment for us not him yeah. an entire fan base i disagree with from the 440 uh i guess ripping out fingernails is out of the question i think the bet should go up or down depending on how many points above or below the line it ends embarrassing the other on air should be key though i don't know if that would be what that would be and i have a feeling doug has no shame so that it would be hard to embarrass me, which, which might be true. Uh, one more from the 419. Doug wins. He gets to have a two-minute uninterrupted rant about anything. Nathan wins. He gets two minutes to talk about some dish he's looking forward to making. Who so, interrupts your rants? When do you know? What, what, yeah. Have they never listened to this before? <laughs> you Every mean, five just, minutes, there's a two-minute uninterrupted rant. Just do the podcast? Oh. <laughs> okay. So, so we've, got some, we've got some options there. I think those are the best ones. You know, we can work this out. We'll, we'll talk through some of them and I, we'll, we'll let you guys know what the picks are, but you'd sing a song, right? I can make you sing a song. I, I have, I have been called the songbird of my generation. Oh, that'd be good. That might be the one. So we'll let you pick it though. I think the chip might work out. Uh, maybe, maybe we could try to do the nug challenge. That might work out or singing a song might be pretty good. I don't know if, I don't know if we want to do uh, no beard stuff. So, um, all right. Those are the options. Thanks to everybody who sent those in. We'll keep making bets. Maybe this will be a thing. We'll make different embarrassing bets among the three of us one way or another and make us do crazy things on the podcast, you know, just for ratings because we're whores. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk. <laughs> cutting that part out. <laughs> so let's do four more rapid fire and a quick chain restaurant discussion right after this on Buckeye Talk. 
All right, last four. We'll save the chain restaurants for the end because some people don't love that stuff. Some people do love it. So hang on for that if you want it. Uh, Nathan, Nathan, I have a court case question for you. And if you are not prepared to answer this at all, I'll cut it out. So I, 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 I am prepared, but there's not a lot to say, I don't think. Okay, so then I will ask it. Question 11, this may not merit an on-air response, but are there any updates on the story of Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint? This is from the 614. I've thought of them from time to time and have been um, just sort of angry and frustrated and sad about you know what, what allegedly transpired there. So again, two Ohio State players who were dismissed from the team. Um, someone else asked us about it the other week, and Nathan, you checked into it. What's, what's the latest on that? Yeah, so there have been a lot of continuances in it uh, in this case, either um, for legal reasons or the judge had to change his schedule, her schedule. So uh, the latest I saw, it's been pushed back to sometime in November. I've seen, I've been following the case going into the online portal for that. And then every once in a while, you'll see some sort of new paperwork come up, something gets subpoenaed, whatever. There have been various things that have been going on. So, um, uh, it's just kind of been a holding pattern. There hasn't been any, any decision made in that. I checked in with a lawyer for uh, Amiri recently, and he said that, that things are just kind of progressing along. There hasn't been a, any kind of big changes in that, in that process. I did see that I believe his father passed away recently. His father had had a long kind of um, some, some health issues for a long time. So um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad story all around. It is. And thoughts out to the, uh, to the Reap family on that. So we wanted to update people on that because that was obviously a thing that people certainly were aware of when it happened and they were dismissed from the team. All right. Question number 12 from the 614. After they make the playoff this year, will Notre Dame choose to join the ACC full-time in football because it's basically a guaranteed one-loss playoff berth every year? I dispute this. Yeah, They're I don't a- agree with that. They're in a better spot where they are. If they were not in the ACC this year and they were just playing this half ACC schedule, they could play Clemson, lose to Clemson, and then have one loss and not have to play a conference championship game and like be in great shape. I actually think they're in trouble because they're probably going to lose to Clemson twice because they'll lose to them and then they'll lose to them again in the ACC championship game. I think this will reinforce why they're not in a conference, Nathan. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I, I disputed kind of that premise that they're better off that somehow that one loss. Cause you're, well, the other thing is you wouldn't necessarily play Clemson every year until you got to the conference championship game. So maybe that's what they're thinking that if you, if you can go undefeated and then lose to Clemson in the conference championship game, and somehow if you weren't in the same division in a normal year, I don't know what division they would be in if, if they were absorbed into the ACC in a normal year, because this year it's just the top two teams play each other. It's not divisional. So in, in a normal year, maybe that's the, the thought that they're coming out with. But I agree with you. I still think that they're better off playing a – I mean, imagine if uh, coming up when they play Ohio State. Like if Notre Dame were to go through a season undefeated, their only loss was on the road at Ohio State in this home-and-home home that they're going to have with the Buckeyes pretty soon, and they had a competitive loss. I mean, that sounds like a playoff resume to me because you'll probably have some other good wins on that, whether it's somebody from the ACC – or USC or whoever. So I, I agree. I think they're better off from a playoff standpoint. They're better off in the long term being independent. All right, let's do a whiteout question. This is something people have been asking about. From the 440, Urban Meyer said that the whiteout environment causes a seven to 10 point differential, and that's now gone. It's zero. Do you guys agree with that? That environment obviously causes more difficult communication, more burn timeouts, jitters for kickers, et cetera, but really seven or 10 point advantage. Steven, the idea of this, right? I mean, 
We know what the whiteout is a big deal, but when Urban, I mean, who would know better than Urban? It's like, it's one of these things sometimes. We don't have any former players or coaches on this podcast, but every now and then it's like, ugh, not that I haven't done it, but it's like, well, what would he know? It's like, I don't know. He coached there five times and won. Like he would have a better sense. But when you hear that idea, Stephen, that a home field advantage in football between two competitive teams could be worth seven to 10 points, what do you think of that? I think seven to 10 is maybe dramatic, but I understand why he came to that conclusion. I just think back to last year in that Penn State Michigan game where the very first uh, offensive possession for Michigan, they have to call a timeout before they even have any type of snap because the crowd is too loud and nobody can communicate and the center can't even hear uh, the quarterback's cadence at all. So it, it affects stuff like that. So now you're off schedule because you decided to use a timeout at a place you're probably not thinking you have to use a timeout. And that might, you know, hurt you in the second half when you're trying to have a two minute drill to, you know, score at the end of, end of a half or maybe even at the end of the game, if it happens in the second half. So I don't know if it's seven to 10, but it does affect you in little ways that you don't really think about until you need something like a timeout or, you know, a quarterback didn't, you know, get to play completely from the sideline or a wide receiver didn't completely understand what the quarterback was saying. And so now he runs the wrong route and now it's an interception because a quarterback thought a wide receiver was going to be somewhere, somewhere that he wasn't. So maybe not seven to 10, but it's enough that Ohio State had to have a comeback victory the last time they were in there. Nathan, what do you think of that home field and how much it might actually be worth? I mean, I, you guys know Urban Meyer better than I do, Doug. Obviously, you especially do. It seems like he is prone to hyperbole from time to time. Is that would that be a fair? I, seven to ten sounds like a lot to me. He's inter- He's interesting. It's part of why he's good on TV. He's really not, good. Right. Yeah, it's right. not that we're not saying he's lying, but he says a lot of interesting things. Yeah, I I, I think seven to ten is a bit much. Um, because I just don't think those games that Ohio State's winning still these last few years does that mean they were really they should have won by two touchdowns on I don't know. Uh, I think some of those, those Penn state teams are pretty good. So um, I, I don't think, I don't think I believe it's seven to 10, but I do believe it, it's, it is something. I mean, and it may explain why partially why Penn state has the confidence that it does when it goes against Ohio state. Cause they always know every time they come here, we're going to have this at our back. And this year that's, that's not going to be there. So I think we've all looked at this as being a, uh, uh, that, that Penn state part of its identity being we're the one team that can, can do this we're the one team that has proven that we can take down ohio state but if they don't have those hundred and however many people thousand people at their back does that affect their confidence when it comes to that on game day so yeah so so you guys think if you just and neither of you have covered i have not been to a whiteout no i'm really bummed i don't get to cover the whiteout yeah so you haven't experienced it which is hard i mean it's legit it's legit it's it's the real deal i think it's a better home field environment than ohio stadium is i I think it's as good you know sometimes it's harder it's giant so sometimes the bigger place it's like oh iowa they're right on top of you or you know wisconsin feels like it's good sometimes a smaller venue actually i think makes for a better home field environment but man they're over a hundred thousand but they it's crazy in there um, so I do think it's legit. I've said this a bunch of times. I don't think Ohio State plays worse because of emotion on the road. I don't think that affects Ohio State. They're too good. They're too used to it. They like everybody being against them. I do think it makes Penn State play better sometimes. I do think it lifts Ohio State. Like, I mean, it lifts Penn State at home because Penn State's the underdog. Even at home, they're the underdog. They're an underdog. Pro- everybody in the Big Ten is an underdog program to Ohio State. And I do think because Penn state's been competitive, their fans are into it and they get a lift like Michigan. I don't think gets a lift 
in Michigan Stadium right now because nobody in that stadium thinks they're actually going to win because they haven't won in two decades. So it's not like, you know, Michigan fans aren't like, we're here to help you rise up. They're like, here we go again as soon as something goes wrong. Penn State fans have reason to believe and they do to believe, do believe. I think they do make Penn State raise its level. But, Stephen, I think the overall thing is it's the logistical part. You can't hear. Mm-hmm. You can't. Like, I think, you know, the 2016 block of the, of the field goal, they're getting on the field late. It's a little nuts. They probably should have taken a timeout. But, like, their logistics were thrown off that I don't know would have been thrown off at a home game or in a road game where it's not so loud. I don't know if the, you know, if the, the crowd specifically affected that, but I think that the logistics of playing, I do think matters at a place like that. Cause you can't hear. And so, so I do think, is that worth seven to 10? No, but I do think it helps Penn state win. It probably helps with the, their starts because you have to adjust to that along with making the normal football on-field adjustments that Ohio State had to make in 2018. So while the road team is adjusting to that environment while also trying to figure out, okay, the defense did this, so we need to do that. The offense did this, so we need to do that. Penn State has a tendency maybe to go up 7 or 10 points or 14 points in that manner. But the problem is, can you hold on to that once a team adjusts to the environment and everything that's going on? So maybe that's more what it is. It's just – that, that crowd allows you to take a lead that you probably wouldn't have without. I do think it's possible, you know, in a normal environment, if they were going to play on Saturday night in a whiteout, if they came out in the first series and Justin Fields threw an interception because mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson went one way and Justin Fields thought he was going another because they tried to change the play or do something, there was some kind of miscommunication between two really good players who have never played in a whiteout before, right? I mean, that's not impossible to imagine. And that's not going to happen now. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it means Penn State can't win, but I think it is a, I don't know. I think this may be the game. Would you guys agree with this? Do you think this may be the game in the Big Ten that is most affected by the pandemic? Yes. Yeah. Well, except other than Wisconsin, Nebraska, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's being of games, of games still playing yeah <laughs> of the game yes of the games that will yeah. actually be played that this still one is, exists is a, in this world yeah 100 100 it is because it's it's this is the game where the location of the game every other year is a factor in who wins the game and i don't know that that's it's necessarily true of any other game in the big 10 no i think that's a really good point and i, I don't know how to get into that any more than that then i think i think I think it's probably just true that that's that's that it's an advantage. It's an advantage for Ohio State. All right, this we're going to transition now to, into chain restaurant talk. If you hate chain restaurants, if you have no interest in this, I sent out something about chain restaurants the other day about the latest voting, and somebody was like, "I hate all these restaurants. You guys should you should try some other kind of food sometime." And I was like, "It's a chain restaurant bracket. If you don't want to participate." Don't participate, but don't come into the chain restaurant bracket and say you should put Sal's tacos. It's around the corner from Nathan's house in the bracket. It's a chain restaurant bracket because you know what would happen if we put Sal's tacos in the bracket? 98% of the people voting would be like, I've never been there. Be like, yeah, you've never been there because that's what's great about chain restaurants. It's a common denominator. So we can vote on them. And we can 
break my heart. And I wanted to ask, answer this question as we transition into this. It's our last rapid fire question from the 419. You guys are both going. Is that correct? You guys are both going Saturday? Correct. Yeah. Get ready for this. Uh, I went to a Penn State, Michigan State game a few years ago. Here's my question. Is Chili's still the fanciest restaurant in State College? So I don't remember, but you guys can scout this out now. When you go there, see what the Chili's looks like, and then just drive by some other places in State College and see if you can give us a lowdown on uh, what the food situation is out there. I only remember eating one meal in State College, and it was at like a – I think it was like at a local bar, like in it down, like kind of on campus area. I don't really remember. It was the night of the, it was the night of the Super Bowl where the uh, Seahawks like crushed the Broncos. Wasn't that Seahawks Broncos? Yeah. I remember Peyton Manning just getting blown up. Yeah. I think it was like the day Philip Seymour Hoffman died and that Super Bowl. And I covered a Penn State Purdue game and I ate dinner somewhere downtown. But most of the time I just eat at the game and then I'm heading out of town. So. All right, so keep your eyes peeled for Chili's. And That's fascinating. I, I don't know if that person's taking a shot at State College, that if Chili's is the fanciest restaurant, I think it's a compliment. So uh, no. this leads me to, this was the voting in the Elite Eight of our chain restaurant bracket, and we are now down to a final four. And I would just like to run through the Elite Eight voting very quickly and see what you guys think of it, because there were a few that surprised me, I will admit. And I will reveal this at the end. I seeded this. There were 32 restaurants in this bracket. I did seed everybody, one through eight. I had an overall number one seed. I had everything, but I did not include the seeds in the voting because I did not want to influence it because last time we did something like this, there were like no upsets and people said they thought that my seeds influenced people's voting. So I didn't want to do that. Let's talk about this. Texas Roadhouse versus Applebee's in an Elite Eight matchup. Steven, how would you vote in that? Oh, Texas Roadhouse. Nathan? Roadhouse, eight days a week. Texas Roadhouse won 71-29. So that was a pretty convincing win. I will say Applebee's is a classic example of a chain restaurant. Now, I get it. It might not be anybody's favorite, but it's American food. They have a wide variety of stuff. They're everywhere. And so I don't know that, like, there's a little bit of disparagement that comes to Applebee's. And I'm not an Applebee's guy either. But I also feel like the steakhouses in this bracket are like the ACC or something. It's just like they're running rampant through the bracket. And I didn't intend it for it to just be all steakhouses. It's like, I get it. People like steak. But I don't know. Do you want to get steak all the time? Or do you want to go somewhere where they have a wider variety of things and maybe also steak? So I think we got a little steak heavy on some of this stuff. That said... Cheesecake Factory versus Longhorn Steakhouse was another Elite Eight matchup. Nathan, how would you vote there? So I actually don't know if I've ever eaten at either one of those places. (laughs) I've I've somehow avoided eating at Cheesecake Factory. I've probably eaten at Longhorn, but I prefer Texas Roadhouse to Longhorn. I feel like they're they're similar, and I'll just take – so I voted for – I would have – and maybe I even did vote for Cheesecake Factory. Steven? Because I love Cheesecake. I love Cheesecake Factory. It was like where we went to all the time before homecoming in high school. So, yeah. Did you go there on a random Tuesday? No. Why not? Because I was in high school and I had to go to school the next day. But it was ex- wasn't it a little bit expensive to go on a, a random bit. Tuesday? I, I, don't, I don't know if it's any more expensive than it would go would be going on a Saturday night, honestly. So No, but I just mean I almost shouldn't have put Cheesecake Factory in. Cheesecake Factory, here's the thing. 
Cheesecake Factory might win this and then they're going to lose their title over NCAA violations because Cheesecake Factory is paying its recruits because (laughs) Cheesecake Factory is all five stars. But here's the thing. You don't do people listening to this. Do you go to Cheesecake Factory on a random Wednesday? My family goes to Cheesecake Factory for like birthdays. If my kids, if we said, hey, you want to get go to a chain restaurant for dinner? If my kids said, yeah, we want to go to Cheesecake Factory, I'd say get a job. We're not going to Cheesecake Factory on a Thursday. It's not like Applebee's or O'Charlie's or Chili's or Cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory is special occasion. So I factor that in, bang for the buck. And if you're living in a world where Cheesecake Factory is a random Thursday, God bless you, man. You are in great shape. But I just don't know how many people are like that. So five stars all over the place, but they're paying players. There is no doubt you know who Cheesecake Factory's coach is? John Calipari. He coaches Cheesecake Factory. So if you're <laughs> voting for Cheesecake Factory, just know what you're voting for. They've got Odell Beckham on the sideline after the national championship game, handing out money. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Odell Beckham's like, oh, Buffalo Blast appetizers. Here's 100. Oh, Snickers Cheesecake. Here's 100. Good job, guys. It's like, no it wonder rough- the, the menu is 30 pages long. Of course, it's like better than Applebee's or a place like that, quote, better. It's also two and a half times as much. It was a rough couple of weeks there for Odell. Yeah, Getting kind of excommunicated yeah. from his school and then tearing his ACL. You know what? I will say, if you're going to hand out money to college athletes, do it in public. God bless them. You know how many people <laughs> at LSU are handing out money to athletes under the table? Yeah. Odell's doing it on TV. So God bless Odell Beckham. It's a joke. They had the same thing in that report where a booster stole $180,000 from a hospital to pay a player's parent. So ask, and then like Odell was the headline. Ask me what the real problem is there. Olive Garden versus Outback. Again, this is the third steakhouse that made the Elite Eight. Olive Garden versus Outback Steakhouse. Steven, how would you vote? I love Olive Garden. I love it so much. And I don't know, they used to have this thing on Sundays where it was all you can eat. I don't know if they have it anymore. But I love Olive Garden, so I'm going to go there. I think I'm yeah, going to go there on Friday, actually. I, I would vote for Olive Garden, and I it, because to me, like, if once I get up to like the the um that like the Outback level of steakhouse, like I'll probably just go to a real steakhouse. Like, why do I need to go to Outback? Why don't you go to a chain steakhouse? But I do like Olive Garden. I do like going to like get unlimited soup and salad or whatever. That's not something you can usually get at like your local mom and pop place. That's more of like a mass produced that came in a bag and is getting microwaved kind of thing. And if they microwave it correctly, then it's pretty good. So I'll, I'll do Olive Garden. Are you hearing this? People who voted for Outback and allowed Outback to win 55-45. Are you hearing all these wonderful defenses of Olive Garden, of the best Italian-style chain restaurant, or like the fourth best steakhouse? You got to think about where, like, are you the best of your own kind of genre? I want some variety in this bracket. I don't want three steakhouses. Olive but you Garden- want variety in a in a bracket of chain restaurants whose no, but the whole style- appeal is – no, but it's you tell going to Olive Garden is not the same as going to Applebee's. Yeah, not. going to Olive Garden is not the same as going to Chili's. But you go to Olive Garden, you have a wide array of Italian dishes presented in front of you. The Olive Garden salad. and Red Lobster are, um, are the same restaurant. They're both fake luxury re- restaurants to me. But there so, are no other Australian themed restaurants. Yeah, Australia can cram it. Also, <laughs> Red Lobster. Long uh, Red Lobster went down in the Sweet 16 against Longhorn. 
Tell me how Red Lobster. I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get red that. Red Lobster. Yeah. The Cheddar Biscuits alone. The Cheddar Biscuits yeah. were basically oh, the Jimmer for that. that should have, or the, they were like basically the Tim Duncan that should have pushed that Red Lobster yeah. in the Elite Eight alone. Steph Curry. Steph yeah. Curry. Steph, Cheddar yeah. Biscuits from 30 feet. I'm just, I can't, I could not believe the lob lost in the Sweet 16. It killed me. So Olive Garden goes down. And then this, Buffalo Wild Wings versus Chili's. Steven. Chili's. I, I'm, Buffalo Wild Wings is awful. I'm just, it's awful. It's awful food. Nathan. I mean, I mean, I have, I have sentimental reasons for why I would take B-dubs over Chili's, but I, 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 I my, my wife, like her whole side of the family, all of her friends, they're all like former Chili's servers. They love Chili's more than life itself. I know a lot of women who are like, think Chili's is like the peak of dining. I don't understand it. Um, but I, I would take B-dubs. I would go to any wings place in the world over B-dubs. So tell me how B-dubs beat Chili's 62, 38. 62-38. It was a blowout. Chili's put their walk-ons in in the final five minutes of this game. Unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe it. The lack of appreciation for Chili's practically makes me want to quit this podcast and quit texting. So if this what, is the world what, I live in, why would I let you vote? So <laughs> what's, what's, what's more irritating, the fact that B-Dubs won or the fact that it beat Chili's? I'm, I'm upset that Chili's didn't make the final four. I would have been mad yeah. if Chili's didn't make the final four under any circumstance. But to lose to a third-rate wing joint makes it worse. Yeah. So that is the thing. I, I mean, Chili's, Chili's, I'm trying to think, and I, and I go, Chili's is like, Chili's is like Duke. I mean, Duke probably pays, pays players too, but like they're less obvious about it. So Chili's is like Duke. And it's not like Buffalo Wild Wings is even like an interesting mid-major. Buffalo Wild yeah. Wings is like Missouri. Or Buffalo Wild yeah. Wings is some like average power conference team. They're like, a big oh, 12 basketball team. They're, I mean, they're decent, but they're not Kansas. But it's like, who feels good when Oklahoma State beats Duke? Nobody's like, oh, cool, the, the underdog. No. Yeah, they do. People, people love watching the Duke lose. Yeah, yeah, you should have right. taken a better school. Than How that. about North Carolina? How about North Carolina? Just That's like a, a solid, one. solid top tier team that nobody actually hates, but they're just good. And then it's not, it's not like that. They didn't lose to Butler. They didn't lose to Southwest Missouri State or Valparaiso. They just lost to some random average place. I'm so angry about it. I can't believe I didn't do an emergency three hour podcast. This is the final four Buffalo Wild Wings versus Texas Roadhouse an Outback Steakhouse versus Cheesecake Factory. Red Lobster's not in. Olive Garden's not in. Chili's isn't in. Like, I'm just, I am beside myself with some of this stuff. Bob Evans' not in. Ruby Tuesday, not in. Cracker Barrel's not in. Um, P.F. Chang's not in. So I, I get it. I'm actually not angry because I enjoy people participating in this. I am very, very surprised. And when we get to the end, I, I'm, I'm here. I would uh, solicit people who really have a rational explanation of why BW3 is better than Chili's. I, I, I'm not, I think Chili's wings are better than Buffalo Wild Wings wings. And all Buffalo Wild Wings has is wings. And Chili's has wings and like a bunch of other Tex-Mex stuff. I, I'm just flabbergasted by it. And you're lucky we only did 20 minutes of the podcast on it instead of 200 minutes. 
I think that people probably also vote for B-dubs experience. There's an experience that you can have at B-dubs that where it's more like, I'll give you an example. Like every year before I started covering college, a college basketball program that would actually make the NCAA tournament. Um, every year, a bunch of friends of mine in West Lafayette, Lafayette would go to B-dubs for the entire first two days of the NCAA tournament. You could just park at B-dubs and get, you know, bar food all day and beer and just and watch literally every second of every game that was going on on these TVs all around you. Like things like that, like you can't really do. Like there were a lot of sports experiences that people would gather at B-dubs and do it in a way that they don't, no matter what the commercials tell you, they don't do that at Applebee's and Chili's. And maybe we need to give B-dubs some home court advantage, I guess, since it is technically originated in Columbus and this is, you know, Ohio State fans we're talking about here. Maybe. Yeah, but half of these were probably based in Columbus. Like most of the... Most of the chain restaurants in the world <laughs> seem like they're based in Columbus. I don't know if that's it. Yeah. I mean, I really do think though, is down the street from my apartment. So, yeah, I really do think, though, you get to this stage of things. And I think that the, the fact that B-dubs, you may think they're a third rate wing joint, but if they're the only wing joint left, I think that helps them in this voting. Because if someone were to ask me, do you want to go to Applebee's or do you want to go to Chili's? I would say, why don't you just pick one and then put it on a plate and we'll play a game where I try to guess which restaurant that came from, because it's indistinguishable to me. Then why did Red Lobster and Olive Garden lose? Who were they against? Uh, against, t- but uh, they were against steakhouses, I guess. But I mean, it's like they I were. Mean, people against- like steak too. <laughs> people think that that's a better restaurant than Applebee's and Chili's. I think it's okay to tell people sometimes they're wrong, and I think with Olive Garden and Red Lobster losing, they're wrong. The hard thing is like the way I would think about it is is not just what place. If you're doing a chain restaurant thing, it's not just like where would you want to go tonight. It's like. If you had to go to the same place for like five nights in a row or something, right? Like, where would you go? Where were, where is there like a variety of things you can get that the menu is interesting, that the price is not going to kill you? You're, gonna go, you're really going to go like Cheesecake Factory five nights in a row? Money bags, McGee, with your diamond shoes on? So I, I don't know. I'm, it's like a $19 entree. What, what kind of world are we living in? I can't live in that world. I'm just, I'm just, it struck at the core of who I am as a person that Chili's lost and didn't even make the final four. They were and my think- overall one. They're my overall number one seed. And I didn't see it coming. I did not see this coming. And so that's why it hurt so much. Are you reassessing who you are as a person and thinking that maybe it's time to make some changes? No, I'm reassessing the entire audience. <laughs> I'm me. <laughs> I'm not sure I should be hanging out with you people. I feel like you should resonate. I feel like you should be like, oh, man, like that, that. I didn't see that coming. Like, do I need to think about some things? Do I need to go? Is there can I get a preacher on the phone? Like, I, I think I need to like I got to go write some stuff down. I need to take a few days off. No, I, my reaction is how could hundreds of people be this wrong? That's I'm right. Which, again, goes back to why I should not be on a jury. Okay, thanks to everybody who took part in that. So if you want to be part of the final four voting for the chain restaurant bracket, sign up for the texts, 14-day free trial. We'll, we'll get the voting out here in the next couple of days. Six so one- Doug can come on here and mock you for whatever you pick. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mocking individual people. I'm just mocking the 62% who voted for Buffalo Wild Wings. So I, I'm here for it, but now I'm going to get a raft from the texters about why Chili's is not that good. And that's going to be a great experience for me to go through the next two days. But I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Tell me why I'm wrong on Chili's. And I'm also going to tweet at Chili's and try to get a free app out of this. <laughs> I wouldn't actually take the free app. I would donate it to charity. 614-350-3315. Join us on the text. 7 o'clock Thursday evening. We will record in a live Zoom room our Friday preview pod. 
Steven will make his pick for the game. Nathan will make his pick for the game. I will make my pick for the game. We'll take any other last questions you guys have about specifically what's going to happen on Saturday night when Steven and Nathan will be in state college, Pennsylvania. But for now, love you guys. I didn't mean to yell. I just get you guys, you guys know how I get about chilies. So it's just, it's just a gut thing. I apologize. Thanks for hanging in this long for Steven and Nathan. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>